Welcome back to Hot Takes Only, a podcast unlike any other. This is episode 37, and it's a podcast unlike any other. And we're talking about a tradition unlike any other to lead off the show. But before we get to that, Willie, you have something you want to share with the lovely listeners of Hot Takes Only. Why, we'll turn the floor over to you. Oh, appreciate it, man. By the way, your chair's uh, the, uh, oh, <laughs> the color of, uh, of goldfish. Um, <laughs> really? It's supposed to be red, but... It kind of looks like orange. <laughs> um, yeah, so I actually wanted to start off the show talking for, you know, five, ten minutes, and you can chime in with whatever you have to say, but I figure it's a good point. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, about Trevor Lawrence and some mm. of the comments that he made and, and the reaction and stuff. And um, I don't want to take him out of context. Um, I guess I'm going to a little bit. But, um, you know, um, I don't want to give partial quotes, but there's a great uh, Sports Illustrated article uh, that was published a couple days ago. And um, it was just about him and his life and his background and everything. And, you know, some of the quotes that uh, made waves, like I said, if you want to see the full quotes and the full article read Sports Illustrated, um, but has garnered a lot of media attention, um, are related to his, his life. And, you know, he specifically said to him, you know, there's more than life than football. And, you know, he doesn't have to man- he doesn't want to make up a chip on his shoulder. You know, he works hard, but, um, you know, that's, that's not the way that he you know, wants to live. And, and, um, and, you know, I just wanted to really, you know, slam a lot of people and a lot of people, executives in sports, also just people on TV. And I just think like the reality is like, you know, I care a lot about mental health. I really have been there the last three years. Mm. And the fact that people, you know, the reality is like, you know, all the stuff he was talking about, about having a balance and like just, you know, living in the moment and not trying to manufacture stories in your head. We really need to promote that in society. I mean, mental health affects like you know, 90, like 90 plus percent of people statistically have some type of, you know, mental problems. And, and all the stuff he's talking about is, is really good for the health of people. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, people on here are, are bashing him. They're saying, "Oh, because he, he, he doesn't have that. He's so he does. He's not completely consumed by football physically and mentally. Like he's not going to be a good quarterback." And I just, I just wanted to say, this is not the message in 2021 that we should be spreading in society. And I would, mm. I would encourage anyone who is is um, saying these things to really look themselves in the mirror. And I think to understand the message that they're spreading, because I promise you that if you have someone that's manufacturing stuff, self-induced stuff in their head, and is completely maniacal about it, I, I guarantee you if they were your son, that's not how they would want you to live. So I just wanted to say that I think it's really, really shameful that people are bashing Trevor Lawrence for just saying that he can step outside the lens of of the hundred yard field and uh, can have a life and everything. Yeah, Willie, I think you bring up so many good points in that, uh, that little segment right there. And I just want to chime in on some of the stuff you said, uh, mental illness is so incredibly real. Uh, I've personally had my experiences with it, both myself and people I, I know and love and 
uh, unfortunately loved past tense um those who've who passed away uh due to mental illness and what i would stress to anyone who is a sports fan or otherwise is that at the end of the day we as fans we as i guess you and i could be considered columnists uh people who have opinions about sports and share them in a in a consistent way in a, a way that's accessible for a lot of different people we have a tendency to talk about athletes, to talk about people, about real human beings as something other than a full, complete person. We talk about athletes as if they are numbers, as if they are paid salaries to do things. We, we treat, we objectify athletes, not because of, of their physical ability, but just by the sheer thing of, you know, we're going to pay you hundreds of millions of dollars. All you get to do is play sports. We don't care about your your mental well-being we don't care about your physical health we don't care about any of that we just want you to entertain us so we can make money that is a huge flaw in our system and i think the fact that you and i are both talking about it is progress and i hope that anyone listening to this or who has an idea of how severe mental illness can be uh actually takes a step forward and and tries to push back against this this narrative so i do want to thank you for for jumping in and sharing that just because it is so incredibly important to be mindful you know no pun intended of mental health yeah and i think i think that i no i appreciate that man and, and you know i think it's it's interesting because just a follow-up couple of follow-up comments um first of all yes uh these athletes are humans and so the um no matter how much we care about our mental health, things can get to you. So I do think that the amount of um, attention and negative attention and just strictly looking at wins and losses that these athletes can get, it, it can just consume them and really, you know, ruin their mental health. And so you're right. I mean, we have to talk and speak and like about them like they're humans and not just robots producing W's and L's in a column. And the second thing I wanted to say, and you know, I it's amazing because over the past you know three years when I've basically you know been doing counseling you know every week, the more and more I realize, and someone I'll sometimes some sessions I'll specifically talk about it, but you know, three quarters of the things that athletes say when it comes to cliches and just phrases and stuff um, about motive like kind of um psychological things i find them to be uh completely ridiculous and the the, and bad for mental health and it's just for me i I just think we need to you know we need to all be human and say it's okay we don't need to give these robotic answers that may not be true and and i just think like when you like i think that the problem is i will say this too Sometimes athletes fall into this trap too when they say, you know, all they care about is winning and they try to, to develop this chip on the shoulder. It's just not, it's not the way to live. It's not mm. the way to live your life to be unhappy, stressed out, trying to drive yourself and creating self induced stories in your head about this and that. Yep. So I think it's this really vicious cycle where people talk about it and then players, uh, you know, also have their own things going on. And so I think, you know, to be honest, I, I just think it's, um, it's a, that's a really bad example for our society. And so yeah. I, I want to mention that point. There's a difference between 
you know, being a hard worker and loving what you do from just being really in your head and consumed by thoughts in your head that may not be true. So, yeah, exactly. And, you know, you and I could spend hours, days, weeks talking about the impact of mental illness, the impact of the human brain on athletes performance, on general well-being, on their influence on society as a whole. Uh, but in short, I think the the point that you and I would both agree with, and I, you know, I, I have to echo a lot of what you said in the sense that, you know, at, at what point as an athlete, for example, at what point can you truly reasonably say, all I care about is winning and that any side effect that comes with it, whether that's CTE from playing football, whether that's depression and anxiety, whether it's any other sort of, of physical or mental um, injury. Yeah. Is is it really worth it to to be good at sports for? Because there's some people who would argue like, yeah, this this is my entire life. Like all I care about is football. All I care about is soccer. All I care about is baseball. You know, there there are those people, and that is of course their prerogative to to care about what they want to. But at a certain point, we as individuals in society, we have to understand that yes, that is fine for someone, but for other people, it may not necessarily carry the same weight. Because say you have someone who is 100% dedicated to the sport 24/7 365 they eat sleep and drink their sport or whatever whatever it may be right yeah when you add to that someone who wants to emulate that but doesn't have the the mental capability to go through the stress and the the hard work the the blood sweat and tears if you will to to get to that point where they are successful, they are at the top of their game, and all they know is that one thing. I mean, every every professional athlete and everyone at the at the highest level, they all have that same basic drive and that will to to be great. That's yeah. not the thing we're focusing on. It's the it's the impact on the brain and the mental illness that comes with that. If you don't make it, or if you get to the top and you fall off a cliff. I mean, think about Jordan Spieth. The one thing that broke Jordan Spieth is not his golfing ability. We saw that. He knows how to win on the PGA Tour and he won in Texas the week before the Masters. You don't just forget how to play sports. It's the brain. It's 100% confidence. And once you lose a little bit of confidence at that level, as good as he was at his peak, it can have a devastating impact. And we don't give that nearly enough credit. 2016 was a disaster for Jordan Spieth at the Masters. But really, the disaster was not just that week. It was the weeks and months and years that followed because we, again, as a society, don't take mental illness as seriously as we need to. And it is a problem. And I really, really hope that for anyone listening to this, anyone watching this, this, this video, because we're going to cut some of this up and put it on, on YouTube, I think. I implore you to think about the mental illness, uh, the mental health uh, implications of sports. And what that means to be completely obsessed with something. Yes, I get wanting to be a professional athlete. I get wanting to be great. I get wanting to, to pursue your dreams with every ounce of, of your being. But at a certain point, you have to take a step back and go, I am very dedicated to this one thing, but I'm also a human being. And life is, I don't care who you are, life is tough. Yeah. It's navigating that. And it's trying to balance the two that it allows folks to separate themselves from the rest. Because there are people who are undoubtedly more talented than some players right now, but there may be 
roadblocks to that. There, yeah. Yes, there may be physical injuries, but there also may be mental health implications they're not thinking about, no pun intended again, but there's something they're not thinking about that impacts them more significantly. And that's something that doesn't get talked about as much. And, yeah. you know, again, I would love to have a sports psychologist or just a doctor, a neuroscientist on, on the podcast to talk about uh, the impact of the brain on the human body, because the, the brain is, um, I, I can't remember exactly what the, the quote is, but it's basically faster than the war. It's better than the world's fastest supercomputer, which tells you all you need to know about what it can do to you when things go south. Yeah. Yeah. Your head is a beast. I mean, you can, uh, your head can, can you, can, you know, your head can tell you a lot of things that aren't true. Your head can, um, is a monster, man. Your head can be a monster when yeah. things are right. I think, I think all that you said was, was really well said, man. I think, and not, you're right. I mean, A, it does take place in sports psychology. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're all human. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that when, you know, Jordan Spieth struggled, I'm sure that was really hard on him, you know? But I think, um, I do want to, I think uh, all of the problems with the, some, not all, I mean, there's so, mental health is complex, but I think some of the problems in our um, society can be stemmed up and uh, you probably know this quote. I'll say who it is at the end, but I'm going to read a quote from someone that you know made waves. And um, you know, it's just this is just not the kind of thing that can be said, and he should be strongly condemned for it. You probably know. You probably remember this quote a few months, but I'm going to read it for you. I'm going to ask our audience and go ahead and condemn me if you choose as cold-blooded and insensitive on this issue. I have a deep compassion for clinical depression but when it comes to the quarterback of an nfl team you know this better than i do it's the ultimate leadership position in sports you're commanding an entire franchise but you're commanding a lot of young men and some older men and they're looking at you to be their ceo to be in charge of the football team because of all that i don't have sympathy for him going public with i got depressed i suffered depression early and COVID to the point where i couldn't even go work out look he's the quarterback of america's team so I think that this quote, um, do you happen to know who that quote was by? I know exactly who spe- who said that quote because that is the quote that inspired me to put out my first uh, video on mental illness, which I will uh, provide a link to that on both the YouTube channel and I'll, I'll be sure to share that as well because I think it's something that's really important to take into, into consideration. That that person is, pardon my, pardon my French, it's Skip fucking Bayless. Skip yeah. Bayless is the most toxic sports commentator yeah. in in the world right now. I don't think there's anyone who, every time he opens his mouth, I just want to punch him in the face and go, you should not have this platform. You should not have this job. You are causing people like my best friend to think that their mental illness is not significant. My friend took his own life at the age of 22, or maybe 23. I think he was about to turn 23, okay? So to say that as quarterback of America's team, as as Dak Prescott, you're Dak Prescott. You're the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, America's team. You're not allowed to show weakness. Mental illness is not admitting that you are depressed or or saying I need to get clinical help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of I know I'm not right. I need someone to help me get right so I can get back to doing what I do best, which is be quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys and to be a leader. I can't do that if the brain, a massively powerful supercomputer, is holding me back. And for, for Skip Bayless to say that, 
that was in September of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. 2020 was a messed up year, but that was one of the things that really set me off. And it, as you can tell right now, it's continuing to bother me because someone with that kind of platform, I mean, yes, I know the reason he has his job is because he says outlandish things like that. But at a certain point, at a certain point, you have to say, I get it. You're paid to say things that generate clickbait or to say clickbaity things. That's not okay, though. That is something that's not okay. And he should have been canceled years ago. But this, this is when he, for me, crossed the line from idiot sports commentator to massive giant asshole. Yeah, I think so I, I hope I hope that one day he will come to his senses and understand the impact of mental illness on all of us. But it's 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 so just nauseating and infuriating and it's it's terrifying to think that someone actually believes that. I mean, I don't know whether or not he actually believes it. Maybe he's just saying it to to get clicks. But yeah, that, that doesn't mean it's okay. That's no. it's still messed up to say it in any any context. I'm sorry. Any context. And I, I think, uh, to be honest, you know, to, to follow up what you said, and I'm sorry because I know how near and dear everything in the subject is to you. You know, I think, um, for like you, I think you said it perfectly. For someone like that with that platform to say that, and um, is you know, for millions of people and more, when the clip is going to be even shared, so you have no idea. And you know, I will say that you know, um, I don't think that that quote was um you know i'm not you know for canceling per se but I, I don't think that that quote was treated as badly as it, it was treated as badly as it, it should have been treated he should have gotten condemned a lot more because i mm -hmm. think there's a lot of things that are bad said in society but you know i i think that the, the to me the lack of backlash of course there was a little bit shows that a lot of people actually, you know, think that, and it's, so we need to remove the mental health stigma. And, you know, as long as people keep making exceptions where they think athletes aren't people, we're never going to change the narrative, you know? So. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent with you there. So yep. be on the lookout. If, uh, if you want to hear us talk about that again, listen to this podcast again, or, or to get a video clip of it, we'll have all the details for you at some point in the near future. But um, do you have any final thoughts on this before? I mean, you and I could talk about this for hours, uh, but you have any, any final thoughts on this before we get back to the, uh, the, the main event, if you will, of our podcast, which is breaking down the masters and baseball and champions league and all that fun stuff. Yeah, no, I do. I do. Um, I actually want to give a quote about just about mental health real quick. So it's funny. So one of the, um, when I started meeting with my counselor, like three, three and a half years ago, it was no. Um, and this actually applies to sports. Um, I, there is this, uh, the biggest, you know, thing you can do in mental health. And there's a saying, you know, live in the present, live in the moment. And ironically, the best athletes, you know, live in the moment. They're the ones that they block out everything that's happening. They don't care about the past. They don't care about the future. They don't have stories in their head. They're just focused on, you know, right here, right now, that's in that moment. And my therapist refers to it as the Tony Gwynn role because Tony Gwynn, when he used to hit, he used to say, I am so focused. I have no idea about what's happening in my life other than right now when I'm facing the pitcher. And so it goes to show that, um, you know, how you should live your life is just, you know, living in the moment. And if you do that um, truly and right here, right now, you don't have to let the monsters of your head get you. 
exactly. Exactly. Totally. Totally with you there, dude. Uh, it's... One day, we'll start to take mental health seriously, but I think yeah. it's a long way from now. We have a lot of work to do, but that doesn't mean we're going to stop. Yeah. And so that's why on this podcast, you'll continue to hear takes that don't just refer to sports themselves. They go beyond that. Uh, when applicable, they talk about mental health, they talk about race and society, and they talk about all these things that that athletes do with their platform or choose not to do or call out other athletes for for using their platform for good when when theirs is just as valuable and can mean so much to their own community should they choose to use it. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, I guess. Yeah, so, well said. Well said. but back to the 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 actual sports themselves because you know we are a sports podcast you and i do enjoy talking about this and so we're gonna we're gonna focus the rest of the show on that but this this little opening i i hope is was helpful for a lot of you and hoping and helping in uh your understanding of where we come from and why we say some of the things we say on the show as it pertains to mental health and and things of that nature so uh that's that's an important bit we we cannot ignore but the masters Willie, we had a incredible Masters this year. Uh, I don't, I don't care about what the uh, what the lead was at certain points. Uh, yeah. It ended a one shot victory for for Matsuyama, but yeah. I just want to say that the the intensity of the Masters, even with someone with a four or five shot lead on the second nine on Sunday, you can't absolutely cannot rule anyone out of it until yeah. the seventy second hole is over. It's one of those things where when Matsuyama had a four or five shot lead on the back nine, on the second nine, rather, uh, I, I was thinking he's got a really good chance, but you know he could very well make uh, bogey or worse on fifteen, yeah. and you know yeah. fall out of it or hit it in the water on sixteen like yeah. Shoffley did. So it's one of those things where nothing is over until it's over, and I cannot stress that enough. But this is a huge win for not just. Atsuyama as the first uh, Japanese male to win a major, but for all of Japan, because you know they were saying this on the broadcast too. That in Japan they treat golfers like they are gods, like they are, you know, they're superheroes. And for for Hideki to be the the trailblazer, to be the first one, is going to open up so many doors for so many young Japanese kids who think, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, we we can we can win a major. We can win the Masters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, do, do you think, Owen, that this this will be end up being, I mean, maybe the perhaps the most significant Masters ever for that reason? Well, I'd say Tiger Woods winning in 2019 has that. Uh, well, no, but in has terms, that. Well, I'll give you an analogy. I mean, in terms of just what Tiger Woods probably when he won 1997, right, the way that that maybe grew the sport. You know, they saw this guy, you know, and, and a little bit, you know, in this country for sure. You know, and I think we could well look back on this in 40, 50 years and if for globally for the game of golf or just, you know, people in this country who only watch the Masters and like Matsuyama, like, man, I think that the ramifications this could have um, around the world are just are just huge. You never know, you know, how many kids are going to be saying, man, I watched Matsuyama win the Masters, and, and so I started playing golf, you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point to make, and and I, I don't completely disagree. I think it's it's a huge win for Japan and the development of golf in that in that country, and 
you know, the Olympics this summer are going to be huge as well. If if Matsuyama can uh, can to, can win gold medal as well to go with that, win the gold medal rather. Uh, the one thing I will say though, and and the reason I hold Tiger's victory in 2019 as kind of the most influential Masters in our lifetime, or at least one of them, uh, I'd say 97, like you were saying, was was pretty big because Tiger kind of changed the profile of golf. But you know, we we talked about that earlier, and and also yeah. you know, prayers up for for the goat, and hope he gets better soon. And hope he's able to, you know, just just live a normal life, not ne- not even necessarily play yeah. golf. If if he's done playing golf, then he's still the greatest of all time. But uh, still wanted to get better, but. Back on point, uh, I think the one thing with 2019 is that it reminded us that greatness can stand the test of time. And true greatness, like Tiger's, absolutely holds up across different generations. Three, four generations from now, people are going to be reading in history books about Tiger Woods, and they'll go, that's, that's one of the most incredible sports stories. Not just, not just golf stories, but in all of sports. How many people after uh, 2000, what was it, 2014 through 16, before his uh, his last back surgery in April 2017, how many people wrote him off completely? How many people said he's not going to win another tournament? He's not going to win another major. He's never yeah. going to be the same player he was. That all, the, the last part may be true. He's not going to be the same player he was in 97. But in 97, he begun a golfing revolution. That doesn't happen multiple times in a, a century. It just doesn't. And you just think about what he did in the wake of all that. He won the tour championship. He caused a mob of people at Eastlake to swarm the golf course. I mean, we don't see scenes like that ever. And then just a few months after that, at Augusta, wins a green jacket. We're for his 15th major, his first one since 2008. If that doesn't prove that he is the greatest of all time and his, his greatness will always stand the test of time, and I don't know what to tell you about uh, about the sport. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that win will go down as um, it, and that just that run he had, like you said, when he when he came back, he uh, it was in Tampa. He almost won the tournament. Then you know, you know, he, he goes to uh, to, in, to uh, Scotland or I think it was Carnu yeah Carnoustie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, almost wins there, almost wins the PGA, then wins the Tour Championship, then wins the Masters, then wins the Zozo. I mean, just, you're right. I mean, those will be some of the most memorable golf, you know, um, sequence of golf that we've ever seen and just an unbelievable story. And, but, uh, but I think, to be honest with you, I mean, I think one of the beauties of golf, particularly the major championships, is people will always remember those Sundays at the major championships. Like, they mm-hmm. will all they always refer to, you know, this, this guy won this tournament in this year. And I think that for the rest of our lives, you know, we'll always be able to say, you know, in 2021, remember, no matter what he does the rest of his career, like Taki Matsuyama won the masters in 2021 yeah. and he had that moment, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's unbelievable, man. And I think, and I just, I do, I do just want to say that I think, like you said, one of the things you said earlier, which was true, which, you know, I don't know for sure, but, you know, from what at least uh, a lot of people say, who and that golf is really big in Japan, and that their golfers are treated like you know A-list celebrities here. So to have a uh, you know someone here, uh, someone like that win a major championship, 
I mean, it could just explode. It, and to me, it's, it'd almost be the equivalent of, I mean, I can't imagine if the U.S. men's team won the World Cup, you know, what what that would do to just a lot of people, I feel like, you know. So, um, yeah, it's just an incredible, it's just an incredible win for so many different reasons. But, I mean, I really think we could be looking back on 40, 50 years ago and, and, and saying, man, like this was the be- one of the best things that's ever happened in golf. Yeah. No, I, I don't completely disagree, for sure. It's it's definitely a historic yeah. moment, not just because of what it is, but when it is, who it is, etc. Yeah. So uh, congrats to, to Hideki Matsuyama for winning the 2021 Masters. Really just a great tournament all around. Uh, I do want to throw some other names at you who, uh, who came close or were in the conversation uh, basically all week. Mm-hmm. Uh, We'll start with the the first two, the the big B's, if you will, Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka. So, okay. I want to make this abundantly clear to everyone who either thinks Bryson is bad for the game of golf, or who thinks, you know, players working out to try to hit the ball longer are taking away from the integrity of the sport. Uh, all I will say is basically, neither one of them won, neither one of them was defending, and neither one of them really threatened brooks didn't make the cut and bryson was never in the conversation on saturday and sunday and so to me it's one of those things where i think i've said this before i don't know if i have on on the podcast specifically bryson dechambeau bulking and lifting weights and trying to hit the you know 200 mile an hour uh, ball speed 130 mile an hour club head speed him doing that does not hurt the game of golf at all period the way to attract new people, I mean, there's there's multiple angles to this. So I'll start with one. The way to attract people to golf is not to show them crazy recovery shots. Golf fans who have been you know, part of the sport for a while can appreciate those. And those are the ones we like because we, you know, we know that at the highest level, everyone can hit it really far. But for fans who don't know really the ins and outs of the sport and who don't really have any idea of you know, what, what the big picture is when it comes to professional golf, they're not going to be roped in by that same kind of, you know, finesse shot shaping recovery bit. They're going to be impressed by someone who can hit a golf ball 400 yards. And that's not to say they're just going to get into, you know, long drives, but that's just genuinely, that's how they get into it. And from there, that's how you, that's how you grow it because you understand that, oh, okay, so you hit it 400 yards, but it's way offline. How are you going to get up and down? How are you going to make a birdie from there? Well, you're going to hit this crazy flop shot or you're going to hook it around a tree you know, 30 yards, 30, 40, 50 yards around a tree. That's how you grow the game. And Bryson is not killing the sport by doing that. He's not changing the profile of the sport. He is showing one way to skin a cat. There are multiple ways. He is showing one of them. The other way is to do what Hideki does and be the most consistent process, detail-oriented ball striker on tour, I would say. I mean, they, they everyone is process-oriented on tour, but the way yeah. that Hideki very meticulously goes about every part of his game from tee to green, everything in between. To me, that is the mark of how to be a professional golfer is to stick to the process, is to stick to the plan, work on having consistency, and then eventually with the talent and the confidence, everything comes together. Yeah. I think well said on a lot of ways. I agree that Bryson is attracting new fans. I mean, we shouldn't bash him. I completely agree for for what's happening. And then I think with regards to Matsuyama, um, yeah, I think it's a 
bottom line is well, we talk about this, you know, but every part of your game, you know, has to go well to win. And, you know, I think that it's, you know, everyone should stick to their game, you know, and, and they, you know, you don't always need to be going, you know, doing the hip thing and chasing distance. You need to just stick to the game and, and do and improve, you know, what you do. And, you know, Matsuyama has always been known as having, you know, an incredible tee to green game, but having kind of a wooden putter, you know, and he, this, you know, this time around, I mean, but he's made himself an elite, you know, chipper and really good around the greens and he's worked so hard at its putting and it paid dividends for him. And I think it just goes to show, like you said, that it's just, you got to stick to your, you got to stick to your game plan. There's a mm-hmm. place for everyone in the PGA tour, no matter how long you hit the ball, if you can just do what you do well. It's as simple as if you play well, everyone on tour is really good. If you play well, you know, you're going to have a chance to win. If you don't, you're not, you know, and sure, maybe, you know, maybe you have mathematically speaking, you know, a higher percentage chance of, of, you know, if you're hit the ball farther and you can stop the ball more and spin it, but there's absolutely place on the PJ tour for everyone if you just stick to your game plan and and do the best you can. Yeah, exactly. And that's a thing that uh, a lot of sporting wisdom uh, is is kind of trying to say, is that don't focus too much on, and this is just not even sports, it's success in general. It's, it's not to focus on what you don't do well and improving that. It's trying to improve your strength and stick to your strengths and stick to what gets you as far as it's, it's getting you. You know, if you are someone who picked up the golf at the age of say like 12, right? And you are fantastic around the greens. You just have an amazing feel for green speeds and breaks, et cetera, right? If that's your thing, are you just only gonna focus on hitting the ball 400 yards? The answer is probably no, because you are such a good putter. You don't need to hit it 400 yards to score. You just need to give yourself a chance. It helps, of course, but it also helps to be an elite scorer of uh, of the golf ball. If you can get the ball in the hole better than other people who hit it 30, 40, 50 yards farther than you, you're yep. probably going to be more successful than them because all they're trying to do is hit it as far as possible because that's their strength. They may be awful around the greens. They may have a terrible putting stroke or putting feel, right? And so it's one of those things that I, I try to stress this to people is that guys like Brooks and Bryson are deaf, are they, they are n- nowhere near close to ruining the game. No, the game is not gone, as we say. We say the game is gone in, in soccer because of all the diving these days. Uh, thanks, Neymar, for that. the it, The game is not gone. The game is not going anywhere. You don't have to hit it 400 yards to be a major champion. You don't have to be, you know, an elite putter to win a major championship. But if you focus on what you do well and stick to a process. For a long period of time and are able to maintain the sharpness in between your ears then i promise you you're gonna be successful evidence of that is hideki matsuyama yeah i completely agree and i think that's what's the most you know beautiful thing about golf though is you you really don't have to win one way i mean that's the beautiful thing i mean you can um you can win using all different styles of play you know um you know, you don't ha- always have to hit it the best, you know, you can, you're really good at scrambling and putting and everything. And, and I think that one of the cool things, I will say that one of the things that um, 
I do think is key, really key in golf, you know, and they, they do, they do talk about this and I don't want to mention, and I think, um, let me ask you this one. What do you think is more important? Uh, because I think Montiama did both things really well this week. And I'm curious uh, last week, what, what you thought, what do you think is more important? Having that spurred ability where you can get kind of hot and early and, you know, have that stretch on you know Saturday where you, you go five, six under and nine holes or something, or the ability to also do like Matsuyama did where he scrambled exceptionally well and saved a lot of things that would have been bogeys in the pars. Which of those do you think is, is more important? Well, so what I'll, what I'll say is this. Um, this comes with a caveat that at the highest level, everyone is good enough to get really, really hot over a stretch. You know, Birdie, what was Justin Rose, like nine under through 11 holes at, yeah. at one point? The most important thing is not necessarily that because at a baseline, pretty much everyone who's playing in that tournament has that ability sure. and that's not something you just kind of lose. That's something you can develop as well by just gaining confidence and, and getting reps in. And that's that's one of the things that for me specifically, that's what I lacked as a junior. And that's what, you know, working to gain confidence is so important to start at a young age. And if you don't start it, it's still possible, but it's much harder to develop it as you get older. So what I'll say is that everyone has that ability to get hot. But what's more important than that is to, and again, this goes back to the psychology discussion we had at the beginning of the podcast. It's, it's the mental awareness to be able to say, okay, I just hit, let's take the, let's take the 15th hole. That is a prime example for me. And my dad and I, my dad talked about this as well. That is a prime example of someone who is fully aware of the situation and understands that I don't need to make a par right now. I don't need to get this up and down from a ridiculous uh, spot. I don't need to hold this chip shot. What I need to do is figure out the best way for me to minimize the big number that I'm making hmm. and to, on the next hole, try to make that shot up. Hmm. For Matsuyama to play his fourth shot on 15 on Sunday, the way that he did in that situation, to me, says more about his mental game than it does about his actual physical game. Anyone can learn to hit that shot. Anyone can work at that and develop it. But having that mental frame of mind to say, okay, I have, you know, four shots above, uh, on the next guy. I'm winning by four. I'm ahead by four, right? I have the presence of mind to say, well, you know, the best he can make is a three or a four. Fine. But the worst I can make is realistically an eight or a nine. And when you are leading a major championship, or you're leading any golf tournament really, but a major championship, you have to avoid the big numbers. And Hideki basically said, you know what? I'm not going to try to hold this. I'm going to try to play a shot where if it lands short and rolls yeah. onto the green, perfect. It's going to be stiff and it'll probably be a tap in par. Sure. If I land this a little shorter than that, the chance of it going onto the green might be lower, but the margin for error is a lot higher. It's a lot safer. And so for him to make that decision in that situation with Shoffley almost holding a bunker shot for Eagle, that yeah. says more about a player's character and their mental game than it does about anything else. And that is the most important thing in golf at any level, uh, competitively, that is. Bobby Jones said golf is a game played in the space between your ears. That is so so accurate it, it it almost hurts to think about every time i've made a mental mistake on a golf course because when you right. when you kind of take stock of that uh for me it's pretty much every round i play and that's not a good thing
<laughs> yeah. So it's it's the mental fortitude that I think is more important than your ball striking, your scrambling, your putting, anything. Just your mental game. Yeah. No, I think I think you said it really well, and I think that that was a really key. I mean, Matsuyama. I mean, he really could have lost his composure. You know, Shoffley made a huge run in the back nine. You're right. I mean, when that happened, you know, after you know, when Matsuyama airmailed, you know, his shot in the water. Um, you know, you're right, and he's probably thinking at that point. You know, even up to at that four, I'm sure he's thinking, man, this guy's getting hot. He's going to make a run. He very easily could have panicked. Mm-hmm. You know. Tried to and tried to press the panic button. Exactly. You know, and like even on you know the 16 pole, you really could have tried to stick it in there and go flag hunting. Instead, you played the safe shot, and I think that it takes a it takes a, a real discipline to win on tour, and I think that you know one of the most underrated things, you know, if we. I'm sure that if you were to ask players, you know, who win these events, they would just, they would talk about how smart they played. And you talk about this, you talk, you said, right. Like games between the years and we talked about before, but one of the, you know, best master strategies, like Jack Nicholas would say is just hit the ball in the middle of the green, you know, and leave the ball in the right spots. And if you make a mistake, you know, don't panic, you know, um, that's one of the abilities. That's one of the beautiful, most beautiful things about the Masters is that it allows you to be creative, um, and you don't need distance to really win there. But it can absolutely punish you if you play the course the wrong way, you know, yep. or make mistakes. Exactly, and and I want to mention Tiger in this in this train of thought very quickly because that's the one thing that Tiger turned into an art: the art of I'm not going to beat myself on a golf course. The art of you have to come and beat me. And that's why he was, until 2009, 14 for 14 in closing out majors when he had either the lead by himself or a share of the lead after 54 holes. Because he didn't say, okay, fine, I'm going to post a 66 and I'm going to run away with it by 12. I mean, yeah, he could shoot 66, but he's not going to play aggressively. What he did and what he did so well for so many years was basically say, okay, you want to beat me? Try there are better drivers of the golf ball than Tiger. There are better iron. I mean, a very, very small number of iron players. Tiger's one of the greatest iron players ever. A uh, very small number of iron players better than Tiger. There's better people around the greens than Tiger. And there's people who are better at putting than Tiger. But nobody in his generation or the two generations before that come anywhere remotely close to having the same mental awareness and strength that Tiger had. Mm-hmm. At, at his peak, no, good luck. Good luck. If he has a one-shot lead, he'll probably win by three because the next guy chasing him will try to stuff it in close on a hole late on the back nine and, and make a big number, and Tiger's going to hit it you know, 40 feet away and two putt for par. That's what separates good players from great players, and that's what separates great players from yeah. legends. Tiger is the legend of legends. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great point. And I think it, it, you know, it takes, it, it takes um, a real discipline because, I mean, like you said, I mean, there are so many players on tour that go flag hunting. Like there are so many players on tour that just go flag hunting and that can work, but I bet more often than not, it probably is not the smartest way. Mm-mm. You know. Nope. Um, let me ask you this, Owen. 
what will you remember the most about about this Masters? I mean, obviously the the big one is going to be Matsuyama being the first Japanese male to win a major. Um, but I, to me, there's two other storylines, and I want to get to one that we kind of touched on a little bit. Right? I brought up this point during our little mental health segment in the beginning. Uh, it's Jordan Spieth coming back into contention in a major at the Masters, right? Yeah. Okay, so 2016, Jordan Spieth has the lead on Sunday on the second nine, hits the ball in the water on the 12th hole. The evil, devilishly tricky little par three over Reyes Creek with swirling winds everywhere. It's almost impossible to judge. Uh, and he goes on to lose that tournament because he puts, I think, two in the water at that point, maybe three. Yep. Since that moment, from that moment on, Spieth was never the same. And it, it took him a long time to get back into not only the winner's circle, but back into just that, that, shit, that, that frame of mind that says, I'm one of the best players on tour. There's a reason I won the Masters at, what was it, 20, 21? And there's a reason I'm going to submit myself as one of the greatest golfers of all time. Because it's this ability to come back from that. And to me, this his win in Texas the week before was the first step in that. If, if he continues on this trajectory, he has a chance to win multiple majors this year, just based on how he's trending and based on just his experience. He has three majors and he's, what, 27? We have to, we have to think about, okay, does this come down to him understanding the golf swing too is trying to tamper with his golf swing too much and trying to get too much in his head. That's the key word. Get too much in his head. It's all mental. It is all mental. It's not technical at all because the way you get technical in golf is because you think about it. And when you think about it too hard, that's when things start to, to spiral a little bit. Yeah. And that's to me something that it made me really happy to see Spieth post a top five finish at Augusta. Yeah. And that's something that I think people are talking about, but not as much as Matsuyama and, and for good reason, of course, but that's something we have to talk about for sure. Yeah. And the other bit, the other bit kind of goes on what you're saying, but I want to hear what, what your big takeaway was before I get to that. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah. So to me, I, I believe that, you know, um, for me, I think that one of my favorite events in, in sports is just the closing rounds of golf tournaments. And, you know, I think that people, the final rounds of golf tournaments are always so interesting. They're always, there's always so much that can happen. It's either close or someone is playing really well and just maybe they set a record or maybe they just blow you away. And you always remember that. And I think that for me, like what I'll, you know, remember the most is, is, you know, I'll remember the, you know, the way he heated up on Saturday, but then just how, how much ebbs and flows there were on Sunday. And I think, I think I'll always remember the, the images of Matsuyama, you know, oh, way over hitting the green on 15 and then him, looking at his caddy being like, what the heck was that? And then seeing, you know, Shoffley hit the ball in the water on 16. And for me in golf, I always like remembering the final rounds of tournaments, especially major championships is so meaningful. There always, there's always some drama. And, um, you know, I think that it, it, 
we could talk about this, but I'm I'm curious, you know, how hard it is for a game that's so technical when you're so nervous, how much it can do to you and almost how much it can affect your swing when you're just in your head mentally, you know, trying to close out a tournament, you know? And so for me, it's just the fortitude of Matsuyama to close it out is just incredible. That's all I remember the most. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you there. You brought up pretty much every major point, no pun intended, uh, that people look at when we talk about major championships. It's the ability on the in the final round on Sunday to put together a stretch of not necessarily, you know, six, seven birdies in a row, but of just truly fundamentally sound, smart, intelligent, and at the same time, courageous golf. Yeah, it it could have easily gone south had Masayama decided to try to make five on fifteen after hitting it in the water with a second shot. Which, by the way, his second shot—that's just pure adrenaline. He, yeah. there is no way a player of Masayama's caliber either hits it that poorly uh, that it it goes a lot further. Because you hit it a little thin. Uh, for those who aren't as familiar with golf, it goes a little bit further with irons, and there there is no way that adrenaline did not factor in. I mean, he, he should have been hitting one club less. Um, but the reason he didn't is because he understands that he could also make a big number if he hits it in the water. Uh, yeah. it, it's short of the green. So it's just pure adrenaline, but he had the presence of mind to say, you know what? It's not the end of the world. I still have a little bit of a lead. I'm going to put this in a place where if it trundles onto the green and goes close to the hole, fine. That's That's cool, but it doesn't have to. And that's the thing that separated him from Shoffley. Because on the very next hole, Shoffley's thinking, okay, this guy just made bogey on a par five. And par fives are birdie holes at Augusta. Or they yep. should, they, in theory, if you hit good shots, they're treated that way. But Shoffley's standing on 16 thinking, I just picked up two shots on this guy because I just, I just almost eagled 15. I don't know, tap and birdie, two shot swing. I'm I'm right there close to the lead. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try the hot hand. I'm going to as as I put it to my dad, I'm going to toss in a proverbial heat check. And yeah. what happened? He hit in the water. And that's not because he tried to force the issue. It's because he hit his shot based on the assumption that his opponent is vulnerable. It turned into a bit of a match play situation there because he thought, you know, Matsuyama's probably rattled a bit because he just hit it in the water and, and made six on a par five. You know, he's probably rattled. This is my chance to, you know, get back in it. And that's a case of just overthinking and, you know, not playing the odds, if you will. But when you're behind in a major championship on Sunday on the back nine and someone like Matsuyama has the lead, you kind of have to force the issue, and especially when there's only three holes to play. So when you look at Xander Shoffley uh, holistically, on, on Sunday, there's not a lot you can totally criticize. I mean, yes, there's going to be people who are nitpicking the decision to to take that line with that club and, and try to stuff it on on 16. But I mean, do you play do you play in golf tournaments to to come in second? You play golf tournaments to win. And he was he he lost because he was trying to win. He didn't lose because he's trying to not lose. And, sure. and there's a distinct difference between the two. And I think yes. It, he could have taken a different line, of course, but in the moment, that is just such a tough thing to talk yourself out of because it's so enticing when you kind of think about the opportunity to, you know, pick up two shots and, you know, we're sorry, 
two shot swings on back-to-back holes. It, yeah. it just didn't happen that way. And I think that's a reminder to everyone who either follows golf or just follows sports in general that it's never over until it's over and you no. don't play to not lose. You play to win. Always. Yeah. Really well said, but obviously it's, you know, harder, much easier said than done, right? Yes, exactly. And that's, that's again, that's that's part of the reason that we talk about mental health so much and well, just what, awareness. What is it specifically on about being the leader of a golf tournament that's so hard? It's It's just the thought. The thought that you have because winning on the PGA tour is, is for, you know, 99% of tour pros, it's life changing. You know, there are guys who may not have status on tour and they win an event, or they may have a limited status and they're fighting to keep their tour card because it is incredibly hard to get on the PGA tour. It's even harder to win on the PGA tour. And so if you have a one shot lead going into the final round on Sunday, how you get sleep you know, as, as a young player or as really as anyone is tough because you think about what's going to happen the next day and what could happen the next day. And that's just the way our brains operate. We think about, you know, when we're anticipating something the next day, something huge, potentially life altering, we think about it too much. And when you overthink it, you, you get away from what got you there in the first place more often than not, I would argue. And so that's why it's, you don't see a lot of players hold 54 hole leads on leads on tour. You just don't see it very often because it is so hard to do because you have to have the mental awareness to hit one golf shot at a time without even giving an, a second of thought to what could happen. It's those who can just stay present and stay in the moment and not even think about that is think about this shot right here and it's implications. And I'd say the players who do the best are the players who think about the current shot as it is in that moment, but also contextualize that moment. Yeah. Matsuyama did an amazing job of doing that on 15. He didn't just say, I need to get up and down and, and minimize the damage here. He said, I need to not make a big number because I have wiggle room. If, if, there was a, if it was all tied, then you might have seen something different. But the fact that he was still leading leads you to believe that, hang on, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's not going to try to hit a risky shot in a situation like that just to avoid making a big number. He's going to aggressively play at something to avoid a big number. He's going to hit a committed shot, and he's going to try to get up and down in as few shots as possible, and that's what he did. Yeah, yeah, it it sucks to make a bogey on a par 5 at at Augusta, but sometimes that's what the situation calls for. It's just you have to play the situation. You can't play just what you think is best. You have to play what the the terrain gives you. Yeah. And I think that, you know, to, to your point, um, I mean, not, first of all, he played a shot in 18 too. I mean, he, he missed the green, but you know, he missed it in the right spot. That was another example of, of not trying to get too cute. I think another point, which is really interesting. I think people don't talk about this in, in, in golf enough is just, you know, just, I think we judge so much by wins and losses, but the reality is that, I mean, it's so hard to put yourself in contention, but if you look at guys who have the 36 hole lead who are, or who are just constantly in contention on the weekends, you know, thinking of, for example, you know, Justin Rose, just how, how many times he's done so well at the masters, but never won, you know? And I think that 
it, you know, or, you know, Xander Shoffley, how many times he's been in contentions at major championships and hasn't won. I think it's just what it goes to show is that you have to be so incredibly good to win. You have to be so incredibly good. Things have to go your way. And you also got a little lucky because other players might have to make a mistake, you know? And so I think one of the things, you know, I'll always remember, like, you know, to that point is just, you know, the the fact that, you know, Matsuyama was a guy who had had some okay championships, but he outperformed a lot of seasoned veterans, like in contention. He outperformed Justin Rose, who'd won a major, had been in contention several times. Like he outperformed Jordan Speed, you know. Um, he outperformed others, you know, who were kind of in that. Justin Thomas was there until he, you know, kind of blew up on on Saturday. You know, he he, he outperformed guys who you thought, man, Matsuyama, maybe the moment's gonna be too big for him because you're all of a sudden, you know, you haven't had a, a true chance to like really win a major and you're throwing in the final pairing on Sunday, man. So it was just incredible. You know, mm-hmm. the last point I want to make on the masters, unless you have uh, another thing you want to add is basically the idea of golf at the competitive level and really at any level is never how many birdies can I make? Yeah. It's sure. how do I minimize the number of bogeys and worse that I make? Golf is not about how good your good is. It's about how bad your bad is. At the top level, everyone's good is really, really good. Anyone on tour can make six, seven, eight birdies in a row. Anyone on tour is good enough to shoot in the 50s. Not just low 60s, but the 50s. It's having the ability, the awareness, and the confidence to be able to minimize the number of times you hit a truly poor shot followed by another poor shot that leads to a big number. Players who can minimize big numbers are the ones who are more likely than not going to be successful at the highest level. And that's just that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the way golf is. Yep, absolutely. I I think what you said is very well said, Owen. I think what you said is very well said. Yeah. So again, for for anyone who's Anyone who's kind of looking at golf and saying, well, it's just about how many birdies you can make, right? Well, there's more to it than that. And there's how few bogeys can you make. And, you know, mathematically, that's that makes sense, right? So it's just it's one of those things that just it's the beauty of golf is that it's not a one dimensional sport. There's multiple ways to do it. And, you know, this is the same in any sport, but in golf specifically, you don't have to, you know, make 30 birdies in four rounds to win a tournament. I mean, some tournaments, if you do that, you, you will win. But others, you make 30, bir- 30 birdies, but you make 20 bogeys, you're probably not going to win. It's just one of those, one of those yeah. things where it's, it's mental yeah. toughness, I think, above all else. There's an incredible, incredible stat at Augusta. I think it's only a few players ever have won when they make double bogey. You know? Mm-hmm. And I, I like hardly ever, I think it's only like three players like ever. And so it goes to show that I think if we were to run a regression to predict golf winning, I, I bet most of it would be a lot of it would just be scrambling, you know, and how few bogeys do you make? Mm-hmm. 
right. You're right. Everyone has that, that spurred ability. Right. And mm-hmm. some, you know, and sure, maybe the best golfers can get really, really hot. Yeah. But, but you're absolutely right. The best golfers put themselves in safe, good positions where that's why ball striking is so important. That's why ball striking, because you're, maybe you're, you're going to get cold with the putter, but if you, if you can hit greens, you're always going to give yourself a chance. And typically you won't make worse than par, you know, unless you three putt, you know? And so, I mean, I'll tell you this, the way Spieth has been hitting the ball lately, if Spieth, if his tee to green game, like him at the Valero Texas open and, and masters was, I think, I think he hit his, it was the best tee to green game in Augusta and it was really close to the Valero. I mean, he's going to be almost impossible to beat going forward. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. it's, it's one of those things. Like I, I go back to 2019 all the time at Augusta when Tiger took the lead on, on Sunday on the second nine, was there any doubt he was going to win? Yep. I don't no. think there was any doubt for a lot of people. I mean, yes, there are probably some people who had their doubts because, you know, he's in his he's in his mid forties. He's not the same player he used to be, but that mental awareness and that toughness and the, the ability to just say, I know how to play this golf course, I know how to play with the lead, and I'm going to win this tournament. That's something that is it's generational and it's all time great, uh, defining, I guess, to, to put it that way. Absolutely. One hundred percent. Really, really exciting Masters, Willie. I'm, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you were able to watch it, albeit a little belatedly, and I'm, you know... Yeah. I, I, I get the whole not being able to watch it uh, on time, but, you know, life life does take precedence sometimes. You know what, man? It was tough, man. I, it's, I, I never want to miss it, but, you know... Yeah, it's it's tough, but these, you know, these things happen, and it's it's yeah. less so watching it while it's happening, but more being able to appreciate that situation, and... <laughs> It, it's going to stand the test of time, this Masters, I think, because just the way everything unfolded on Sunday, especially, you know, that stretch of holes from uh, from 12 to 17, when you thought Matsuyama was going south and, and Shoffley was going to take the lead and, and eventually put on the green jacket, uh, it comes right back at you with just really, really good, smart, uh, conservative, but aggressive at the same time play. It's And it's, it's a, one of the things that I think Sir Nick Faldo says a lot is that with the lead on Sunday or even late on Saturday, you make aggressive swings at conservative targets. Yeah. And that to me is very telling of how the greats do. Because Nick Faldo won six, Sir Nick won six majors. He, he's no slouch. He's not a bad player. He's one of the best of his generation, if not of all time. Yeah. He knows how to, he knows what he's doing. So when he says something like that, that's how you know that, okay, this is kind of how golf is supposed to be played. Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the guys like that—they know what they know what they're doing. You know, they—I mm. mean, they—they they have the insights, and I think the insights from legends, like it's—it's it's incredible because you know, I feel like some of these secrets, you know, or just insights, sayings, like if players really understood them, like they could be so much better. <laughs> you know. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. There's. A lot that can be done by a lot of folks to get better, and almost none of it can be technical sometimes. Real quick about the Masters, though. Just want to say yeah. one more thing. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Rory McIlroy? What's the deal? Is he going to be able to recover, recover his, his swing? He'll be fine. 
Rory's going to be fine. Yeah. He, okay. I have no, no doubt in my mind whatsoever that Rory is going to, going to win majors. He's going to win more majors. I have no doubt in my mind that he's going to you know, get out of this little funk. Well, the, the reason I say that is because again, like with Spieth, you don't just forget how to play golf. It's a confidence thing. And it, it really can spiral sometimes if you don't kind of, you know, nip it in the bud and, and get down to the root of it. And the, you know, for, I guess, a quote unquote traumatic moment, you get down to the root of it and, and try to solve what caused that rather than just take care of the symptom. Right. And so with Rory, he's, he has one of the most fundamentally sound golf swings ever. I mean, I think yeah. years from now, people are going to be saying like, this is how you should swing a golf club. If you have, you know, anywhere close to that kind of strength and flexibility. I said that in the past. Well, right. But again, the thing of the situations he's been in, in his career, right. It's all confidence. It's, yeah. it's mental game. It's confidence. And I have no doubt in my mind. He's going to be a okay. If Jordan Spieth is going to be a okay, Rory's going to be a okay. It's okay. just, it's, it's just the byproduct of, of having been a golf fan for as long as I have. And just knowing that, you know, Sometimes it's not even it's not even something physical. It's just it's just confidence. Once yeah. you get to a certain point, it's less about positions and technique and and fundamentals. It's more so just about feel and mental approach. And that's yeah. something that makes this game so frustrating but so satisfying at the same time. And it's it's the world's best love-hate relationship in my opinion. Yeah. You know what, Owen? I I think that's really well said and I think it's, I'll tell you this, Owen. If regular golfers get upset because they don't play well, imagine what it's like for pros who do this for a living, you know? Yep, exactly. Like you said, I, I, I can't imagine for someone where the game was so easy for him how much Jordan Spieth had to endure for three, four years mentally. Mm -hmm. All the noise. Yep. I mean, man, the amount of just frustration trying to figure out how he just lost it, you know, mentally what that must have been like. So, man, you're right, Owen. Golf's a thinking game between the years, a thinking man's game. The mental games they have to play with themselves is just, it's just extraordinary, you know? Yep, absolutely. I think we, uh, we don't have much of a disagreement here between us. We disagree on certain things, but this is something we both agree on. It's the mental approach and it's the importance of the brain and, and the mind uh, as far as it comes to being successful in sports. Uh, but I want to switch gears because we do have a certain sport that we previewed in a couple episodes a few weeks ago. I mean, I think going back to about a month ago uh, was when we did our National League preview, but baseball season is well and truly upon us. and true to form and how i expected them to start the season well not necessarily this bad but i expected the braves to be a little slow out of the gate just because of what last year was and the expectation and i i just know atlanta teams don't do well with when they have expectations put on them uh the atlanta braves are currently four and nine i believe it's not four, and, four and eight they're um they're five and eight i'm sorry they won today on jackie robinson day which is nice you know you know good for the braves winning on a day that means so much for the game of baseball, specifically uh, black folks in baseball and, and the integration of the sport that was so segregated and so racist for so long. Um, but the first few games for the Braves have been, in a, in a nutshell, just gut-wrenching. 
Yeah. It's it's almost impossible to watch at times. And I want to highlight uh, Tuesday night's game against Miami uh, at home. So this was, um, I don't know when it was. It was at some point in the game when the Marlins had, I think, eight runs. And I think the Braves put in like Grant Dayton or, or someone from the bullpen. And as soon, I don't remember who it was, but as soon as he stepped up, you know it was a home run. You just knew it. And that, to me, is symptomatic of what the Braves have tried to do the last couple of years, which is shore up a bullpen that needs help. But ultimately, to me, the Braves pitching staff as a whole, this is pitching and uh, this is starters and relievers, is nowhere near good enough to win a World Series. And I know, I get it. We talk about the Nationals in 2019 having, again, statistically the worst bullpen in baseball. I, I never hesitate an opportunity to bring that stat up because it's just really funny and just stupid. But the Braves don't have a good enough pitching staff right now to win the World Series or even make the playoffs, to be perfectly honest with you. Max wow. Freed is on the injured list uh, with a hamstring problem. Ian Anderson, his kind of learning how big league hitters are adapting to his his style. Mike Soroka hasn't pitched at all this year, and he had a setback with his recovery. He's had some inflammation in his shoulder. So the Braves are taking a step backwards. Drew Smiley is going to eat innings. Charlie Morton is in his late 30s. It, you know, these are, these are low risk low reward moves by the Braves and that's not for a team that had a 3-1 lead against the eventual world the eventual World Series champion Los Angeles Dodgers it's not good enough it's not and it's it's so frustrating when it's the same story but different players in 2019 it was Mike Fultonevich and Luke Jackson 2021 it's Grant Dayton and it's Max Fried I'm just tired of it. I mean, and yes, I know I'm crying about sour grapes. This is the three-time defending National League East champions. But, you know, when when your team won 14 division titles in a row in the 90s and early 2000s, you expect, yeah, maybe there's multiple World Series in there. No, there's one. One of the best pitching trios in the history of this sport. Maddox, Glavin, and Smoltz, all on the same team at the same time. And one World Series to show for it. That is pathetic. This franchise right now is pathetic. Darno forgot how to hit. Freeman hasn't gotten going yet. Ozuna hasn't gotten going. Albies hasn't gotten going. Dansby forgot how to play baseball. I mean, he got a walk-off hit today, but other than that, he hasn't done anything this season. Austin Riley is a fly-out machine, and by fly-out, I mean fly-out on the infield. And the pitching staff doesn't know how to not give up runs. It, like I don't, I don't know what happened in the offseason, but it's, it's something has got to change because... You know, I was thinking before going on the show, yeah, you know, there's nothing really to worry about. It's early in the season, but honestly, I'm I'm pretty frustrated with the Braves right now because of because of what happened today with um or sorry, yesterday with Charlie Morton. Charlie Morton was supposed to be one of the veterans who comes in and you know, if there's a little bit of bleeding in the rotation, he's a guy who can go out there, and give you six strong, maybe three earned, you know, five or six hits, a few punchies. That that hasn't been Charlie Morton this year. And okay, you're thinking, well, maybe Drew Smiley can be that guy. Drew Smiley can't be that guy either. So no Freed, he's hurt. Anderson's not as good. No Soroka. And the two veterans or veteran-ish players and Drew Smiley aren't producing. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm exhausted. But like the one fun part about the season though has been Pablo Sandoval. And I, I can't, I can't overstate enough how fun it is to have Pablo Sandoval come in the game as a pinch hitter 
hit a pinch hit home run and then immediately get taken out of the game. To me, there's nothing better than that. And yeah. so far, that's the only thing I've been able to smile about as a Braves fan. Yeah. That I mean, and Acuna murdering baseballs because, I mean, <laughs> Acuna has been so much fun to watch so far. But sure. yeah, Braves bad. Yeah, I mean, um, first of all, it's great baseball back. I really enjoy, you know, watching baseball. Um, yeah, with regards to the Braves, I mean, uh, what I would say is, is a couple things. I think the Braves are really caught in between in the sense that, you know, I think in the MLB, in order to contend, you need some pitching. And I think that you can really, as much as I don't like relievers, I think there we go. I, as much as I don't like relievers, I think that you can really, you can mask one weakness of a pitching unit if you have except you can mask the bullpen if you have an incredible a very good starting staff you can kind of mask the starting staff if you have a very good bullpen in the postseason i think the problem with the braves is that they're kind of caught in between in the they sense have neither of, yeah they have neither and uh, what i would say is that you know when it first of all when it comes to the relievers they have some good pitchers but you know they they don't have melanson um, they don't have green and, you know, some of the guys, uh, some of the better guys in their bullpen have been struggling. I know you don't like Grant Dayton, but you know, they still have Minter, you know, Minter, you well, know, struggled as well. And, you know, Minter, you know, um, you know, Will Smith, another guy has struggled, has struggled. Tyler so, Matzik has been like the only bright spot in the bullpen so sure. far, yeah. really in the pitching staff as a whole. Sure. And I know, I know how you feel about, uh, you know, Luke Jackson. And Dude, no, thanks. <laughs> Nope. Right. So, um, but you know, there's some things to work with. And I would, what I would say is that, you know, why I wouldn't really be ringing the alarm bells yet though, is, you know, this is very much similar conversation to what we were talking about last year. The whole story during the Braves regular season was, can they, do they have any starting pitching? And they really didn't for the regular season. And then towards the end of the season, uh, Ian Anderson, you know, started pitching really well, and you know Max Freed really blossomed in the role. Uh, when you get Soroka back, <laughs> that's going to help a lot. I mean, he's incredible. Pitcher that was promised, right. big big Canada man, Mike Soroka. I I I miss I miss Mike Soroka so much right now. I, I was hoping he was going to be, uh, you know, ready at this point in the season, but I yeah. don't think we're going to see him until at least May. Um, sure. And th and that's a worry for me because the Braves' next few series, they go to Chicago for three, New York for two, they go to Arizona for four. Uh, no, sorry, they have Arizona at home for three, and then Chicago at home for four. So that right there is going to be very indicative of how the Braves' season is going to go because we know the Phillies are going to be good, the Mets are going to be good, uh, the Marlins are a play were a playoff team last year, so they're no slouch. But yeah. you know. The Braves really should have taken three out of four of that series. Uh, it's just that was that was all bullpen and pitching staff, bullpen and starters deciding to forget how to pitch and and for hitters to forget how to hit and and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the Cubs have been struggling so far this year, like the Braves. So those are games the Braves had to be thinking, okay, we can go in and take two out of three. New York, same thing. They've been struggling as well out of the gate, and we'll talk about the Yankees in a little bit. But Absolutely. they've been struggling at the gates too. So if the Braves yeah. can win both those games, that's okay. We went to we went to the Bronx, beat the Yankees in two games, and then 
come back and face the Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks are a team that should be beatable. They they should they can potentially sweep that series. So you're thinking about the next few games for the Braves, and, and this is obviously my perspective as an Atlanta fan, a tortured Atlanta fan, mind you. I'm never going to apologize for that take. Uh, it's a crucial stretch this early in the season, and I hate that we have to talk about it like that, but that's just the nature of blowing a lead against Washington and Washington, blowing a lead against Philadelphia, getting shut out by Philadelphia, blowing another, okay, having a Sunday night baseball call that is just abysmal, uh, blowing another lead against Philadelphia, uh, sweeping a doubleheader, which was fun, but then huge leads against Miami, gone, uh, wasn't even in the game, 14 to eight final score, uh, huge lead on the 14th yesterday, gone, and then today somehow winning uh, in the bottom of the ni- in the, yeah, the bottom of the ninth. So, so far it has not been great, and the Braves have had they have dug themselves into an early season hole just based on their performances. the The record is not as bad as you'd think. They're five and eight. Okay, they're they're not out of it yet. They don't have they they're not winless. That that would be shocking. But to yep. me, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I am a little concerned already. And it's yeah. it's the it's like what you talked about. They're caught in between two minds, and you brought up so many good points there where. Yes, with an elite rotation, you don't have to have a great bullpen. That's how the Nats won in 2019. They had an elite rotation. Uh, conversely, you can have an elite bullpen, but if your starters only give you three or four innings, then you know sometimes that's all you get. It, that was a Tampa Bay Rays outside of Blake Snell. Yeah. And, and I guess at times, Charlie Morton uh, in, in 2020. So do the Braves have either one of those things? No. And so the result is they just end up being mediocre. And that coupled with an offense that hasn't gotten going yet. I mean, Ozuna hasn't hit yet. Reigning MVP Freddie Freeman hasn't hit yet. Uh, I think Dansby forgot how to hit. Travis Darno forgot how to hit. Austin Riley, I, I don't know what he's doing. Um, Christian Pache, why does he bring a bat to the plate? Um, Ender Inciarte, the the striking out on uh, uh, a bunt uh, specialist. You know, Yes, I'm hard on my team, but you know, would you be hard on your team if the season before they went to the National League Championship Series only to blow a 3-1 lead to the eventual World Series champions? Like, would you be disappointed too? Because I think you would. And if you won't, uh, or you wouldn't be disappointed in that situation, uh, tweet at me. Let me know what you think. You know, yeah. I'll put so my I, social in the uh, in the description. Tweet at me directly, not just us at the show. I have two thoughts. Number one, which pitchers do you think? Are you actually worried about and Will Smith? Two, uh, no hesitation, okay. Will Smith. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But, but no, what no, was no. what was the rest of that bit? I, I do want to talk about Will Smith for a second. It's actually interesting you mentioned him. So, what's really interesting about Will Smith, bro? And this is part of the reason that I don't I don't like you know uh, I don't like relief pitchers, bro. No, you don't. I, I really don't. Is um, remember how good Will Smith was a few years ago? Yeah, he was he was decent a few years ago. I mean, I wasn't you know blown away by how by how good he was, but he was he was all right. Yeah, he was good. You know, he was a he was a capable lefty. So 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 let me ask you this, okay? Um, what what happened to him? Because if you remember. Will Smith, when he was closing for the, the uh, Giants, just an incredible player. Incredible player, right? But this is what happens to relievers sometimes. 
like I would say to a decent proportion of relievers, they can get really hot for a season or two and then just regress back to the mean, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, uh, I think there's always a danger when you sign relief pitchers that you're, what version of them are you going to get? Exactly. It's really, I think it's a really big concern. So yeah. And which, which pitchers are you concerned with overall though? Uh, besides, besides Will Smith. Well, the second thing I do want to say something. Second thing I was going to say is that I do think that you're right. It's good. The Braves won in the nineties, but I do think the Braves fans are going to be, I think that this project could go south real fast. If they struggle this year, the fallout from that three to one loss could be massive. And yep, you know, well, so it's in, it's one of the biggest early season things to keep in mind. But you know, there's a chance that this team will never really regain its mojo if they if that loss really affected them that much. You know. Yep, and so I. I, I totally agree with with you saying that, and that's one of the things that scares me because when the the quote unquote rebuild was you know I guess officially over in 2018 when they won the division for the first time in five years, um, to me that was that was a sense of okay they're building around the rotation now they're not building around the offense like they used to they're not building around having both Upton brothers you know Chipper Jones in the in the twilight of his career. They're not building around having an elite offense anymore. They're building around having a great pitching staff with a lot of good young prospects, Mike Soroka, Max Fried, Ian Anderson, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah. But it, it's so important for them to build on that, and and everyone on the pitching staff stands Tyler Matzik has taken a step backwards. All of them have an ERA, I think, above four. If I'm not mistaken, maybe someone has like a, a mid three ERA, but I, I think the numbers right now are skewed. Yes, because we're early in the season, but I mean, AJ Minter is a shell of himself. Can't throw anything yeah. but 95 down the pipe. Uh, Chris Martin, I think, is hurt right now, again, or hurt or just straight up ineffective. Um, who do I want to pick on? Grant Dayton shouldn't be on the team. Um, <laughs> Jacob Webb has been a bright spot, but. He was thrown into a situation where, you know, he was thrown into the tenth inning where we have these stupid extra innings rules where someone's put on second base for some stupid reason. I don't know what Manfred is smoking. It's a dumb rule. I'm sorry. It's dumb. Because a base hit basically means you you take the lead. It's dumb. It's just because they want to speed up the game because I guess Manfred wants to get to, you know, he wants to go to bed, you know, wham, bedtime for the commissioner. Um that's funny. It's again it, it's just up and down the team. There's there's so many bright spots. Um, yeah. Or there no sorry. There's a lack of bright spots. There's so many just like I, I just you just look at them and you go, Ugh, not him. It's that that uh, that gif of JT Real Muto with the uh, the guy running in where he's just like this guy, and it, it's it's beginning to feel like that with the Braves a little bit, and that's the part that I really really don't like. Uh, I think one of the things that also concerns me is their overvaluation of certain players i think they are way overvaluing travis darno and it's it's not funny anymore like yes he had a great offensive season for 60 games last year but historically has he been an elite hitter as a catcher no, no not really i don't think he's hit above 250 in his career you mentioned that because um you know darno 
uh, I think that you, you bring up a really good point there, which is that you have to decide which players have a hot season versus not. And Darno is a guy, I mean, when he played with the Mets, was a pretty big disappointment to a lot of fans there, you know? And so you're right. That's a really worrying trend. Um, I think that another guy, in my opinion, you can tell me like what you think, but you know, another guy that really fits in that category uh, to me potentially is Marcelo Osuna. I always feel like Marcelo Osuna is a guy that, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, he had an amazing season last year and he was, he was good and, in uh, Atlanta, but I don't think there's any way he's ever going to reach last year's production again. Um, and, you know, and if he, you know, he doesn't like to make contact. So that's all. There's always a risk there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, and, and, and then, and then another thing, like you said, is I'm, I'm not really sure what to make of Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson in general was one of the best prospects in baseball we've seen in a long time. And, you know, had a good year last year and has really shown flashes of the player that we've seen. But it's just sometimes him with the bat is just I, – I don't know in his career if he's ever really going to live up to his expectations. No, I, I personally don't think so. And and Dansby Swanson is one of the many reasons I drink because, look, I love the guy. He's he's an Atlanta native. He's He knows what it's like to be an Atlanta sports fan. He knows what it's like to be a, a Georgia boy, an Atlanta boy through and through, right? He knows it. He gets it. He is a Braves – uh, fan on the field. Every team needs a fan on the field. And Dansby Swanson is that for the Atlanta Braves. But Dansby Swanson has not played like he is a member of the Atlanta Braves fandom who grew up idolizing the team in the 90s, the team of the 90s, to quote the great Bob Costas. He, he's not playing like it. He's playing like a guy who's who's lucky to be on the team. And to me, it's just like the Braves wagered their future or certainly a very valuable asset in Shelby Miller on this guy who may or may not pan out. I mean, yeah, it's early in the season. I get it. Like, you know, and when we talk about, again, you and I talk about how sports media overreacts too much. Maybe I'm overreacting, but like, again, the Dodgers or the Braves had the Dodgers within one game, one game of beating the Dodgers and they go to the world series. One win against the Dodgers is all they needed to go to the world series for the first time since 1998. That's all they needed. Yeah, and they completely blew that chance completely, and nothing that has followed has been positive except for Ronald Acuna Jr. He's been yeah. the only bright spot on the team so far this season. And well, okay, him and Pablo Sandoval. I can't be rude to to the panda. The panda. I, who would have? I, I did not have that on my 2021 bingo card. Pablo Sandoval being the Braves' unsung hero, or I guess sung now that he's hit so many pinch hit dingers. But again, it's just one of those things that's like, I want Dansby Swanson to do well because he is such a crucial part of this organization. He is the fan on the field and it, he's got to turn it around. He's got to be the reason the Braves turn it around and end up winning 95 to 100 games this year. He has to be that reason, but he's not right now. And that's the part that bothers me because there's a reason that the jersey hanging in my closet right now has his name on the back of it is because I got his jersey because he grew up an Atlanta fan. Because he is Atlanta through and through. Like me. And yes, I get it. I used to be a bigger Red Sox fan when I was a kid, but I have since realized the value and the importance of your hometown team. 
and how important the Braves are to me just as a person, just as, you know, the role they played in my childhood and my, my upbringing. So back yeah. to that, there's a reason his, that jersey is in my closet. It's because yeah. I want him to be the leader of this franchise. And he is not playing like it. He is not acting like it. He's not dragging the team with him. Bo Bichette is already a better leader than Dansby Swanson. And Bo Bichette has played, what, 80 games in the big leagues? Sure. It, it, like, come on now. Let's, let's, be, let's be, you know, let's be better about it, Dansby. Please. Please. Yeah. Well. Sorry. Rant over. No, no, you're, you're good, bro. I mean, I love hearing your thoughts. Um, I actually want to ask you about more about Dansby Swanson, though. Um, where would you rank among the biggest disappointments in prospects in franchise history? Like, it's not fair to call him anything close to a bust. I mean, he had a really good year last year, but mm -hmm. I think the expectations for him were so high. Like, he was a can't-miss prospect, in my opinion. You know? And, um, yeah. I, and, you know, sometimes shortstops are like that, but... You know, um, I don't know. I think I think that Dansby Swanson is a guy. You know, a, a couple guys on that have been really disappointing to me. And you know, I I feel like you know, um, another guy. I mean, I, I don't know. He he reminds me not the legal issues, but Addison Russell is another guy that kind of man. The Cubs were so high on this guy, but yep. But yeah, I think it's it's an interesting, maybe to me the most interesting story to monitor with the Braves, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I just think there's, I don't know what it is with with Dansby Swanson this year, but you know he he's not barreling the ball, which concerns me. You know, guys like to the first series of the year, Acuna was barreling the ball, but it was right at you know the Phillies or the Nats wherever they were playing. Yep. I'm fine if guys are barreling the ball all over the place because that evens out eventually. That's not something that just kind of, you know, it stops if you can, you know, get to that point where you're just putting really good swings on the ball. You're making really, really solid contact because eventually it's going to find its way through. That's just the way the game is. It happens, right? But Dansby's not barreling the ball this year. And so, no, it's a great point. Um, he's not. He's not. And, and Owen, I just want to say, I, I, wa I wanted to pull this up because I think it's really interesting. Okay. So I'm going to read you a list of the number one overall MLB picks in the last starting from like 2017 going back 20 years. And I think it's super interesting because not as many of them hit as you think. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to read them too. And I'm, I'm going to ignore you know, I'll start with Anthony Swanson in 2015. I'm going to ignore the other guys just because I think it's too soon to really see before they really fully reach the big leagues. So 2015, Dansby Swanson. You know, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. 2014, Brady Aiken. I don't know if you remember him, but um, he was really highly thought of as a pitcher. Mm. Um, has had some injury problems. 2013, Mark Appel. Uh, that was another kind of bust situation. Yep. Um, number 2012, Carlos. This is where you get, if you're a Braves fan, I think you're really annoyed. 2012, Carlos Correa. 2011, Garrett Cole. 2010, Bryce Harper. 2009, Steven Strasburg. 2008, Tim Beckham, who's been pretty good at times. 
2007, David Price. So I think that seven, eight years, you had some really good players. But then if you go back and start to get uh, more interesting, you have, uh, I forgot his, how do you say his name, but Luke Hokover or whatever he said. He was oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. The pitcher for the the Royals, I think, right? Royals, yeah, the Royals. Um, you know, Justin Upton, pretty good, right? Uh, okay. Yeah. Matt Bush, really sad story. Delman Young, decent. Then last few years, you had Brian Bullington, Joe Maurer, a really good player, Adrian Gonzalez, and then even going back, Josh Hamilton, Pat Burrell, uh, Chris Benson, who was a really good pitcher, Darren Erstad, who was really good, Alex Rodriguez. So the point is, like, not as many hit-ons as you'd think, but I think that the Braves are really going to be ruining that because 75 to 80% of those players were um, all-star, you know, really, really elite players. And so, I, you know, Swanson's a good player, but um, not the quality of, of many of those players. No, he doesn't. To me, he doesn't. He doesn't necessarily have the the same. You know, there's something's missing right now from from his game as far as like what he brings to the table with the Braves. And I'm just looking at uh, barrel percentage right now because uh, his barrel percentage is higher than you'd think. But in all of baseball, he is ranked. 59th with a 5.8 percent barrel uh, per plate, 5.8 uh, barrels per plate appearance. It's not horrible. It's not horrible. It's, not horrible. it's it's near Alex Verdugo, who's doing well. Uh, near Starling Marte, uh, a player who's you know who did pretty well against the Braves this series. Brian Anderson again, who hit well against the Braves. I mean, everyone kind of hits well against the Braves uh, in the last you know 10, 10 games or so. Vladdy Junior is not too far from there, only seven percent. But you look at the leaders: Shohei Otani with eighteen. Ronald Acuna Jr. with 15.3%. And then you go down the list, and the next Brave is Freddie Freeman at 16 with 10.7. And then you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going all the way down to 59th in Dansby Swanson. So he's ranked among the Braves. He is third in barrel percentage, and he is 59th. That is abysmal. If If he is someone who's hitting the ball harder than most other people on the team... Right what there. does that say about the rest of the team? Tells you they're really struggling. Exactly. Really struggling. And and yes, okay. I'm still upset about the Sunday night baseball call when Major League Baseball decided to give the Phillies the win. I'm still upset about that, and I will not be upset about that until probably the end of the season. Uh or not be I won't be over that until the end of the season, rather. Um but you know, to me it's one of those things where I I want the Braves to to be better than they are, but it's just so tough right now. Yeah, um, I I would say Owen that um, you know you'd think that they would would pick it up, but um, there's no guarantee that they make the playoffs. This could be, and we know this in baseball. Owen, I mean, I think that to be honest with you, it's interesting. I was um, earlier I was looking up, you know. It's hard in baseball to sustain excellence. You see lots of teams do really well and, and plunge the next season. And I think, you know, the Braves are kind of hitting that point where they've won the division, what, four years in a row now? Three years in a row. Three years, okay. So they're kind of due for a season where they don't, at a minimum, win the division and maybe miss the playoffs, right? Other than, I mean, back in, you know, the the – 90s, early 2000s, I think they won it seven or eight straight times. 
So yeah, I mean, they're, they're kind of reaching that point with this group where it, there is potentially some signs for worry there. Uh, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. I'm not too optimistic on the Braves right now. And you know, I get it. It's maybe overreacting. It's maybe me being too hard on Atlanta sports on Atlanta sports teams, but you know, it's, you don't, you're not easy on things that you love. You want things that you love to do great. And I'll tell you, you know what I would do if I were the Atlanta Braves right now? So they, they didn't, you know, they didn't splash the cash in the off season for some pitching. You know, they, they could have gotten Trevor Rosenthal, but they didn't. I'll tell you what, if I were the Braves, you know what I would do? Easy. Not It's not like an amazing move, but I'll tell you what I would do. I'd call up the Dodgers and ask, give me David Price. Tell them to give me David Price. He's sitting there in the bullpen. He grew up a Braves fan. Uh, I think that he struggled a little bit, but my guess is that he seems he says he's healthier than ever. I think he could totally help that team. That's a trade I'd like to see happen. Yep. I would too, Willie. I really would too. Because at the rate that the Braves are signing veterans to one year incentive laden deals, um, it's gonna happen sooner than later. Yeah. I mean, let's let's look at the names over the past few years that they've signed or traded for uh and, yeah. and gotten on one year deals. All right, shall we? Sure. Drew Smiley, Parley Morton, okay. Yeah. Josh Donaldson, Marcelo Zuna. One of those, I mean, those both panned out, but only one of them got to stay because the Braves didn't want to, they, they only wanted to splash cash on Ozuna, apparently. They're going to, yep, sure. Uh, let's keep going down the list, shall we? Um, um, what's his name? Nick Green? Or yeah. um, Shane Green, sorry. Well, Shane Green, yeah. The Shane Green, yeah. Green back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, he was he was good with you know, way back when. Uh, Shane Green back in the day, uh, and then just it, and then again past that it goes back to the era of Coppola and John Hart, where they jettisoned players for uh, prospects like Matt Whistler. Oh my god! Um, god, I've I've bl I've thrown these names from my memory because it's just so infuriating um lucas sims who turned out to be good in cincinnati but the braves couldn't develop him properly because you know braves gonna braves oh my god I'm, I'm blanking on a lot of these names but basically the braves are dropping the ball and going for quantity versus quality when it comes to pitching and that's the opposite of what you can do it's like i get it yes the braves you know they have to turn a profit i get that but when your team is one win away from the World Series? You, you have to stop thinking about the the frugality of the way you run your club. You have to stop thinking about it like a business, or the fans like me are going to turn on you very, very quickly. And I, I see no reason to not be upset with this franchise right now, with the direction they're taking. If if the veterans can't get the guys to play well, if Freddie Freeman can't drag this team up to his level that he was on, that you know the level he was at last year then they're not even going to make the playoffs. I don't even think they're going to finish third in the division, honestly. That's I mean, I I had my hot take a couple weeks ago where I said the, that two of the teams that we talked about early on in uh in in the or kind of later in the offseason later early in spring training uh we're going to miss the playoffs entirely. And I said one of those was the Braves and right now uh the way things are trending and the way that Things have just looked from the eye test. That pick looks pretty good right now. Wow, bro, that that's uh, that's incredible, bro. Um, let me let me ask you a question, on. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. Can we play? 
fun hypothetical trades right now? Oh, yeah, let's do it. I love these. Okay. So I don't think that it's realistically going to happen, but I love listening to trades, people talking about trades. And I, I think I'll tell you a guy who could give him a boost. And I mean, I don't really know what it would do to a young player's confidence, but I'll tell you what, um, the phones are ringing probably for Chris Bryant. They're going to be all season. I would love to see Chris Bryant. I mean, Dude. if you want to make a chance, there you go. Imagine, imagine the thump in that lineup with Acuna, Freddie yeah. Freeman, Marcelo Zuna, and Chris Bryant. That's, that's, that's can, a scary lineup. If you, that's one way they can get around these pitching problems. If they make their lineup so deep and so good, <laughs> you know, I think I, Chris Bryant's a guy I'd really like to see. I think he's going to move on. You know, I, I think the Cubs are, you know, they're kind of going the wrong direction. And, you know, I, I'm not the guy who normally, you know, advocates for, you know, big trades, but he's gotten off to a decent start this season. And uh, that's a guy, if you really want to compete with some of the teams in the National League, I think could make a big difference. And a good glove. He's got a good glove as yes. well. Yes. Yes. That's something the Braves also need a little more of as well. Because you got a gold glover. You got a gold glover at first in Freddie Freeman. You got a gold glover at short in Dansby Swanson. Ozzie's. Ozzie. Yeah. Ozzie could potentially win a gold glove someday, but Austin Riley is not a gold glove third no, baseman. I think it makes a big difference. And so he's I, not a great hitter either. No. I mean, he's got a lot of pop, and he hits the ball a mile when he hits it, but no, he doesn't sure. hit it very often. Chris Bryant would be a huge upgrade. Yeah. He, I mean, Chris, I mean, how many teams in baseball have a better third baseman than Chris and than the Cubs do with Chris Bryant? I mean, there, there's not very many. I mean, think of, let's think of. Okay. I'll tell okay. you what you're not going to like. Josh Donaldson. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the Braves could have had if they, you know, weren't so business oriented. It drives me insane, dude. Like, come on, you got to spend money to win. Spending money gets you money. Yeah. Nuts. No, okay. Fair. You know, we add 14 straight division titles, so that's basically like winning a World Series, right? You know, only one. It's good for good for only one. Yeah, I mean. I know, I get it. I'm crying over sour grapes, but like, or spilled milk, whatever the expression is. I'll tell you this, Owen. I'll tell you this. I am surprised that the Braves did not pursue any big names in trade or free agency, knowing because in sports, this is my opinion, in sports, I think that it's really bad when teams make unnecessary trades. Um, but I do think that when you have a really strong window, you have to go for it and chuck everything to win because nothing sports ever guaranteed. So, you know, that's one more I know, but to me, I mentioned they didn't really do anything much in free agency. I thought they could have, they have a decent farm system. I thought they could have, uh, grabbed Nolan Arenado. That's another thing I think they could have done. There were some links there they could have considered. And so I think the Braves windows right now. You know, I don't care what anyone says. Um, Freddie Freeman's not going to be able to play like this forever. Um, you know, there's so many things that can happen. So, you know, like I said, they didn't they didn't pay Donaldson. And I know for all for all you want to say about his injuries, like Donaldson's really good when he's healthy. So, you know, I, I think that at the mark, we can point to a lot of things. I don't want to overact, but you know, 
if I were a fan, I would be saying, I don't care if we got the system a little bit, like let, we need to do something now because all the teams in the NL East are, are pretty good. Uh, and the Mets certainly with their owner are not going anywhere. No. So I would tell you right now, if I'm the Braves, I'm, I'm, ringing the phone, seeing if I can get maybe two pitchers in hitter. Yep. You know, I, I'd like to I'd like to think the Braves are gonna do that, but I know the Braves. I know the I know how the front office operates at the direction of the ownership. It's not gonna go that way. And you know how uh so so for folks who don't know, uh Chipper Jones was such a great uh Mets yeah. killer in his career that he named one of his kids Shea after their old stadium, Shea Stadium. That's funny. If the Braves aren't careful with this current situation they have right now, they're very close to having someone from the Mets, probably Francisco Lindor, name one of his kids truest. And yes, this is a joke, but I'm legitimately afraid of the Mets now. Because the Braves haven't played the Mets yet. They haven't had to face DeGrom. They haven't had to face Stroman. They haven't had to face Syndergaard. They haven't had to face uh, Carrasco. And they haven't had to pitch to Lindor. Lindor is going to hit so many home runs at, at Truist Park. It's stupid because the ball flies out of there. And, you know, yeah. obviously, as you know, Lindor, Lindor good at baseball. So, yeah. you know, I'm just, I would like to be more optimistic about Atlanta sports teams. And this is giving me a lot of fuel for the peach pit. So look out for that, that uh, podcast that I'm going to resurrect uh, because now I have a lot more content to work with. Uh, and also talks about the Falcons, too. I'll have to do something on the draft as well. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. We're talking baseball. Um, so I, I do want to move away from the Braves, though, because there's, you know, there's 29 other teams in this sport, and we do have to talk about some of them. Uh, more, than just, more than just the one that plays in Atlanta. The, the, the disappointing one that plays in Atlanta. Uh, we got to talk about the Sox. And, Willie, which Sox do we got to talk about? We got to talk about the Red Sox or the White Sox? We got to talk about both of them. Okay. Got to talk about both of them socks. Because the Red Sox, I mean, yes, they had their winning streak snack today, but they won nine games in a row at right. this point in the season. Who had that on their bingo card in 2021? Nine games in a row. Wow. Yeah, sure. yeah I mean, well, I, I'm curious what you think, Owen. But um, you know, in 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 my opinion, um, the Braves are, I mean, sorry, not the Braves. I'm so used to, you know, you, um, you know, uh, you, you love the Braves. Sorry. So I said the Braves. Okay. Anyways, um, the Red Sox are a really interesting team, uh, because they, they're a really good organization on, um, that, um, Okay. I think they're a really good railroad organization, except when any team is a good organization, except when they have Dave Dombrowski. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, you know what I would say is that they, you know, they they have some talent on that team. I mean, I I know you alluded to, you know, before the season that the you know the pitching needed to be addressed, but I don't know. I I feel like the the Red Sox. You know, they, they had this good young guy, Cordero. Um, you know, Bogart's endeavors are still really good players. I mean, you know, uh, obviously he hasn't gotten going yet, but uh, Renfro, I think, is going to hit a bunch of walls over left field. You know, you got Verdugo's pretty good. I think Marlon Gonzalez was a really underrated pickup. 
I think the Red Sox are, you know, I, I wouldn't expect them to, you know, keep this up, but, you know, some encouraging signs, you know, uh, for sure for the team. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, like I, like I said uh, during our NL or AL preview, sorry, I said the Red Sox will be lucky to win 80 games this year. Um, honestly, that that pick is in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. If you know, they're not going to keep this up, obviously, because this is this is a ridiculous pace, and with the quality, with the quality that they they need, particularly with the pitching they need, I think that the lineup is good enough to be a, a postseason team, but the pitching is not. Um, so. It, I don't think it's going to continue, but you know, so far it's 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 fun. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're, 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 that division is going to be a beast. Yeah, be exactly. Beast. Uh, so so the Red Sox winners of nine in a row. Keep an eye on them as the next you know the next nine games comes around because they lose they lose nine in a row, then then we're back to square one. Yeah, they're a fun team though. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, that's yeah. For sure. I gotta say though, Jared Carabas, one of the uh, the barstool uh, baseball writers and and big Sox guy, uh, following him on Twitter is one of the most fun things I've ever done because he's like he's I don't know I don't particularly love everything barstool stands for, but uh, he as a baseball personality is is a lot of fun, particularly because every time the the Sox win, he tweets out this thing in all caps about you know who does well in the game like Christian the Moon Man Vasquez hitting a bomb, um, Matty Batpacks just. You know, dropping just whipping out his balls and just destroying everyone, dropping a, a big twelve to six curve over the plate. I mean, that's sorry, that's probably too graphic, but whatever. Um, it's just things of that nature. That's that's the nature of how like graphic it gets and and how funny it is. But again, it, the socks are surprising a lot of people. Um, the other socks though, the white socks are not surprising a lot of people because of what we saw last year. Okay. They are so fun right now. Yes, yes. They're maybe the most fun team in baseball to watch. Oh, I mean, are you kidding me? I think that's... I love... Dude, I just love, like I said, we should do an episode where we, where we do MLB extra innings rankings for funness to watch. Yeah. White Sox are there. For sure. Although it's a bummer that Eli Jimenez went down. Yeah, he would have he would have given them that added dimension. I think that's, that's something they're going to miss, particularly towards the end of the season and into October, assuming they, they make it. But... You know, I, I think it's just they have all the recipes for just, you know, if not a really great team, a really fun team. And more often than not, teams that are a lot of fun like that are are teams that are winning, you know, a decent amount. Not not every game, not winning 100 games, but, you know, winning, winning a good bit. I mean, Carlo uh, Rodon throwing a no-hitter yesterday, that was big. Um, you know I mean? Mercedes starting off the year like 8 for 8 and hitting just complete moon, like 500-foot moon shots. That's entertaining. Uh, Tim Anderson yeah. doing Tim Anderson things. Uh, you just go up and down that team, and and it's it just seems like they're having fun playing baseball, and that's something that we need. They're they're definitely, you know, one of the funnest teams. I mean, to watch, I I, I definitely think so. Um, I, I you know, and I think one one thing that's so fun about that team is um. So first of all, I, I do just want to say, I mean, I, it's a bummer. I, I really do think they're World Series contenders. We'll see. But um, you know who, who is one of my favorite players, actually, and um, is actually really like 
Another former sock, Yohan Mankata. I love Yohan Mankata. I think he's a beast. Dude, that, that guy's... Yeah, he's turning into quite the player. And thing, right? Well, that was a David Dombrowski. Yeah, that was a David Dombrowski trade to go get Chris Sale. So, you know. Well. Whether or not... Okay, so the Red Sox have a World Series. So if the White Sox win a ring, that trade is justified on both sides. But if the White Sox win more than the Red Sox, then hmm, someone's going to look at Dave Dombrowski and go, what, what, what is this guy smoking? The guy's 21 years old. Yeah. He's so good. <laughs> I know he's not yeah. having a great season, but I just want to say he's one of my favorite players in the MLB. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. He is a lot of fun. And so that it's just one of those things that's like, we have fun teams in baseball again this season. That, based on what we saw last year, is only a good thing. Yes. You know, last year, because the Padres were that team last year. And now it's it's the White Sox. Yep. Who knows? Maybe they make a deep run in October. Yeah. The White, I mean, they're, the White Sox are, are definitely right up there for the funnest to watch. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, too, from a... Uh, I mean, I think it's interesting you mentioned... Um, we actually asked, I mean, who is a team that you might be fun to watch? I think Kansas City surprisingly started off really well. And they're, they're another fun team to watch. That team's got a uh, <laughs> a bunch of fun players on that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, whether it's, you know, you mentioned him before, right? Whether it's, you know, I asked you, who, who's one of your favorite players to watch? And you said Whit Merrifield. Whit Merrifield, yes. He of the multi-hit game. <laughs> right. Whether it's, you know, um, you know, and now I have Andrew Benatendi, you know, Jorge Soler, who's hitting bombs, Salvador Perez, maybe one of the most underrated players in MLB. They got Michael Taylor now, pretty mm. quiet, you know, pickup for them. Yeah, I think they're just a fun, I think the Royals are another fun team. And also, they really can't pitch very well. <laughs> so, <laughs> usually when you watch them play, there's going to be some, some runs scored. Yeah, there's, um, Something to be said about that, truly. And also, speaking of fun, sorry to go off topic, but I think that I just cannot wait to see what 18 games between the Padres and the Dodgers and they play tomorrow for the Mm -hmm. first time. Um, Both teams thus far are playing well. And so I I think it's going to be as good as advertised. I I simply cannot wait. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's a real shame because a lot of people in in LA aren't going to be able to watch that game. You know, real, it's a real shame. And oh. I say that actually half sarcastically, but half truly, because I, I want to watch those games, but we can't because of the Dodgers' stupid deal with uh, with Spectrum. It's, it's, it's the wrong thing to do, and I think baseball needs to step in and go, hey, like, I get it, Carter wants to make money, or Spectrum wants to make money, but, like, this is killing the game. Like, your own fans can't even watch you. And during COVID, especially because people can't go to bars, I mean, I guess bars are slowly starting to open up, but uh, you know, I, I would, I would, I would, you know, hazard a guess that a lot of people are staying away from from doing that. Um, and and you know, only what eight to ten thousand are allowed at games, so it's it's not a good look for baseball. And just want to watch the Dodgers, man. That's it. I just want to watch the Dodgers. Yeah, no, I, I especially when they play Tatis and the Padres. Like, please. Yeah. Darvish, Snell. I can't wait to watch them. You know, I've got Spectrum on my TV, but it was years without having Spectrum. So, yeah. You know, 
Um, bummer. Fuck them. Yeah. Well, Whit Merrifield has five multi-hit games so far this year. He's. Oh, so. he's. And oh, the leader, also- the leader only has six. Um. Yeah. No. No. For sure. I mean, Whit Merrifield, dude, that guy can hit. That guy can really hit. Um, definitely one of the most underrated players in the MLB for sure. Yeah. I want to look at his his career stats and bring them up on the pod because they're just they're so fun. Yeah, I mean, go out, go for it. I mean, he's probably close to a 300 hitter. He's a um, career 296 hitter. 96, okay. Wow. I mean, um, yeah, man, he's a career cool. career 14.1 war. And let's get into some of the funnier stats. 2018, 192 hits and 45 stolen bases. Uh, 2019, 206 hits and 20 stolen bases with 10 triples. Um. And last year in a shortened season, he had 70 hits in 60 games. So wow. he did not go 0 for very often. He, wow. he yeah, That's... I mean, he only hit 282, but it, it felt like every time you look at, at the stat sheet, it's like, oh, Whit Merrifield had a three hit game. Yeah, no, he, he or just watch their games. I, I sometimes in the past have watched their games and it feels uh-huh. like he's one, like, yeah. consistently getting on this. Yeah, right. Oh, he's fun. He's really fun. Any right. other players around the league catch your eye so far on? Well, I mean, speak. We kind of mentioned it a little bit. Um, well, we didn't mention the player, but the the game today between the the Royals and the Blue Jays. Um, Vladdy Jr. Vladdy Jr. hit a massive tank today, four fifty six, and he made it look easy. And okay. so far, he's having a good season so far. I mean, yes, it's it's early, but you know. Vladdy Jr., if he can put it together, I mean, he's a slimmer version of himself now, so I think that can only be a good thing, especially for someone with that natural power and natural ability. So I'm I'm going to watch Vladdy Jr. I mean, I was already planning on watching him very, very closely, but I'm going to keep watching him like a hawk because he's... Just watching him hit is so funny because he's, he, he's not quite the free swinger that his dad was in his prime, but when he makes contact, it's usually going a long way. Yeah, Vlad, his dad used to hit balls off the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a bounce a ball at home plate, and, and Vladdy Sr. would still hit it. Yeah. He learned One of the fun things. Habits. He yeah. learned bad, probably learned bad habits. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a, a, a little, I would say a little bit of a disappointing start for the Blue Jays, but it's okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it's early, but, you know, they're last year they were right around 500, a little higher than 500. So. It's not out of the realm of possibility to think they're still around that level. I mean, yes, they got better with George Springer, but he hasn't played at all. So, you know, yeah, once once he's healthy, I think he's going to make a difference for that team. That's the big, big injection in their lineup. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I do want to talk about uh, a division rival of the Blue Jays, though. The Yankees. Sure. Something is wrong with the Yankees. And I know when, when we had Matt on the podcast a couple weeks ago, you know, we were all kind of in the same boat where it's like, yeah, I think the ALCS is going to be, you know, some random AL team, maybe Chicago against the Yankees and the Yankees are clear favorites, but they have been, uh, I mean, how would you describe the first, you know, first 10, first 12, 13 games for the Yankees so far this year? Bad. Bad. I would say, put it bluntly. Oh, and I, I, I have no, on I, I, how much money are the, the gamblers making like, dude. If you would bet, I mean, on on a game by game basis, um, how many team 
who would have thought that the division leaders in the AL would be the Red Sox, the Royals, and the Mariners? Mariners! I would have said maybe fifth, last place in all of the division. Yeah. I think those are those are the three teams that people had pegged as the last place teams. You're right. Uh, yeah. At this point, at at the end of the season, certainly, but this point in the season, uh, you know, you think they already get off the start. I think Baltimore has a strong claim to that as well, though. Um, well, yeah, I mean, but, sure, we might have picked. It, it's yeah, no, you're absolutely right, though. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, but also, shout out to the Mariners and shout out to my roommate Reese Hyatt, yeah. certified funny dude and big Mariners fan. That's awesome. They should Go be uh, We'll see if it's. More not more than early season bust, but yeah, I yeah. think you know. You can chime in. I think um, I think Brian Cashman is extremely overrated as a GM. I think he's always been extremely overrated as a GM. And um, the reality of the situation is, we sit here. I feel like in the last ten years, we sat here every year. And we're like, is the Yankees pitching staff good? Like, is the Yankees starting pitching staff good enough to win? And the answer so far is absolutely not. <laughs> and you could say all you want, but if you pay $300 million to Garrett Cole, um, that, if that, I mean, if that gives you no money to sign someone else or if you can't produce anyone, and look, I- I'm sorry. I got to say this, and I look, I know it's too early. I know it's too early, but um, I think it was really wishful thinking to think that Jamison Talion was going to be an elite pitcher and that, you know, specifically me, I to think that Corey Kluber was going to be Cy Young Corey Kluber. I think that was extremely wishful thinking. And, uh, you know, Herman, um, you know, got sent down. Um, so... I would say right now, um, I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, I don't think they're World Series contenders. I don't. Uh, to be honest with you, all, I don't. I, and I know the sports are really overreactionary, but I have to be perfectly honest with you and, and say that I wish I could take. I don't want to say I want. To, I don't want to take back my prediction, but like I said, it really might be the fault because I, I, there's no one in the American League that really just jumps out to you. But right now, there and I don't. I don't honestly think it's going to change. I got to be perfectly honest. I would say the first two weeks have taught me, and you can play this back as much as you want. If I'm wrong, that the Yankees are contenders to win for the World Series. I, I, I don't think they're contenders to win the World Series. They they have. They lost to Naka, and, you know, he left. And, you know, I don't think any of these pitchers, you know, are magically going to, you know, going to get better. And um, I think it's a big, big, big concern. And to me, um, you know, I think that, I mean, sure, if you can get Luis Severino back at some point, you'd help, but um, they're nowhere near having a good enough starting rotation. Um, and yes, their bullpen can make up to some extent, but I mean, if you can't field more than one starter that can give you four or five innings, um, that's really hard to do. 
So, yeah, that, that's my take so far this season. The Yankees are not World Series uh, contenders unless something magically changes. Yep. I mean, so so here's the thing. So I'm not going to entirely disagree in the sense that unless something changes, they won't be contenders, but it's the New York Yankees. You have to believe they're going to do something about this. I mean, we're, we're talking about the Yankees as if they're a normal club. Um, you know, in sports, you have, I guess, your super teams where um, if there's any sign that this team is going south, ownership or whoever the general manager, leadership of that team steps forward and fixes it almost immediately. Uh, the one that comes to mind is Real Madrid. And I think that is the most direct comparison you can have to the Yankees in the sense that they don't get to rebuild like everyone else. And that's, we talked about that with Matt on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. They don't rebuild like everyone else. They can't. The expectations are far too high for them to just be like, oh, you know, we can win like 65, 70 games and it's fine because we're going to have all these amazing prospects next season. That's, that's not the Yankees way. The way they do it is by continuing to win while developing young players and throwing cash at big money free agents like Garrett Cole, who, by the way, so far this year has a, a 147 ERA, or sorry, a 245 ERA with 11.8 Ks per nine. Uh, he's 3-0 and so far. The, Garrett Cole is a, is a certainty as a Yankees fan. You know what you're going to get out of him. You're going to get 6-7 strong, and you're going to strike out 10-12. to 12. That's Garrett Cole. But you're right. It's the rest of the rotation that's not giving the the longevity and the the the, it's the length. Mm-hmm. They're not giving you the length that's going to help a bullpen throughout the course of a long season. And you know that said, I think they are going to go and and fix this because they're the Yankees. They they can't they can't live with you know millions of New Yorkers turning on them and just not going to games. That that's not what they do. It's just it's we've seen it time and time again with with the evil empire. That's the the way they operate is different from everybody else. So, you know, as it stands now, obviously, yes, I, I agree with you in the sense that they're not contenders, but they're not gonna stay that way. Let me ask you this question. Let me butt in here and and ask. Um I mean, I don't think I'm out of line saying this because oh, and is there any any pitcher other than Garrett Cole? That you have confidence in the starting rotation in the Yankees, I, I don't think there's any like uh, that I would say have ever shown me. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, I don't trust Jordan Montgomery, even though he's probably been the second starter. I don't trust Tyon; he's never been great. I mean, he's been okay, and I certainly don't, you know, trust Corey Kluber or, or Severino to, you know, hold up. So. I don't think there's any reason you could even say, well, you know, to trust any of them. I, I don't, and now you don't have Paxton anymore. And as much as I wasn't a huge fan of Paxton or even J.A. App, um, they were more consistent than what they're getting right now. Also, yeah, no, I, you're totally right. And I actually just realized I was giving you all Garrett Cole's spring training stats. <laughs> we haven't looked at Garrett Cole's regular season stats. So, uh, that's that's my bad as a bad uh, part-time sports columnist. But the point be the I mean the point I was trying to make is the exact same. Uh, Garrett Cole so far this year with uh, a one four seven ERA, it's even better than than what I originally told you all. Uh, so he's two and zero with a one four seven ERA, and his FIP is one point one eight, and his 
Ks per nine is 14.2. So he's even better so far this year than um, than I was, you know, leading you all to believe. But you know, the point it was the same thing. It, it, Carrot Cole's the guy, and and you're right. There's no one else in that rotation really that you have at this point in the season true confidence in them giving you some sort of longevity. I mean, they they kind of did a Braves and they they took flyers on Tyon. They took flyers on they took a flyer on Kluber. They're you know putting their eggs in the Severino basket. They're thinking Domingo Herman's going to come good. Uh, Davy Garcia. They're hoping he's going to develop as well. But you're right. There there's no one who you can say okay. Cole's our number one, but this is our number two. This is the guy we're going to throw up the day after Garrett Cole, and he's going to give you not the same numbers, but we're, he's going to give you strong numbers. Tanaka was that guy last year, and that's part of the reason they were as successful as they were last season mm-hmm. is because they could back up Garrett Cole. Yeah, I mean, for sure. He was uh, he, he, he was Mr. Consistent, and I think... Um, Seems to be the problem every single postseason for the Yankees. Yes. Yeah. Now you don't have CC Sabathia anymore either. I mean, I know it's been a couple of years, but he was another just consistent, great locker room guy and was a good pitcher for a while. So yeah. I think. No, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, I think they're, you know, they're in real trouble. And, uh, you know, I don't, they, they're another team that's got to ring the phones. Definitely. And they will. I, I I don't think there's any. I don't. I don't think you disagree in saying they're going to. Yeah. Um. But but right now, yeah. No. I I don't think you're out of line at all. I think you're you're well within, uh, reason to talk about the Yankees in the sense that there's no confidence in the rotation outside of Cole, and I don't think the hitters have really turned up either. Um. Gary Sanchez isn't striking out as much as he used to, so that's a good yeah. sign so far. Um. But, you know. When it comes to the the big names on that team, no one's really shown up yet. Yeah, no, for sure. You know who? You know who? A guy who, you know, I I don't, you know, I don't know what you think. I'm 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 curious what you think. Um, but to me, you know, one guy on the Yankees, um. That I I just think I'm not really sure, you know, what to, you know, I guess I'm not really sure what to to make with him, make of him. Um, do you know who that Do you know who that guy is? On who's that? Why don't you Why don't you take this? Oh my god. I got nothing, dude. You got nothing? I got nothing. Take 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 one guess. And this is for Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell Sorry, you. Sorry, I spaced a little bit. Just go for it. Okay. So I think a very interesting story. Um and and you may say, well, what are you talking about? I mean, this guy in the past was so, you know, freaking good. But um I think that one guy, honestly, um, we got to start worrying about a little bit is Giancarlo Stanton. I know you could say, well, how did a guy win the MVP a few years ago? He's not worried about. Well, the guy played a combined like 40 games the last two seasons. And all of a sudden, here he is this season, and he's slow out of the gates. Um, 
I'm not sure whether you can even stay healthy, nor am I sure um, whether he, you know, can hold up for, feels like, you know, the last couple of years, like we're waiting for Stanton. Is he going to be healthy? Right. But um, to me, uh, that's a, that's a trend I would watch and you might say, okay, well, the guy's super good and healthy, but um, he's a guy that's key, very key for that team. Uh, I don't, they can't win without him playing elite. So that's one story I would watch. Yeah, no, I agree as well. And the reason I didn't, that didn't come to mind is because It's because of the point you brought up. In the last two seasons, you know how many games he's played? Like 40. 41. 41. He's played 41 games in the last two seasons. 51 if you include the 10 so far this season. He's already been booed off the field by by New Yorkers. I mean, yes, they're New Yorkers. They're notoriously hard on their team. But what I mean, what is giving you reason to believe that Giancarlo Stanton is going to be anywhere remotely close to the price tag uh, that the Yankees paid to get him? Yeah, no, and I mean, I think going, I think you're right. I, I, I you know, Stanton's had injuries even when he was in the Marlins, um, but the you know the reality of the situation is that if you don't make a World Series. He can be bust, and I would say thus far. I mean, so yeah. I mean, you're right. That that expensive contract. Um, I would say. I mean, maybe this is really hot takey, but is isn't looking good, and the reason is because, I think if you're the Yankees, you'd rather have, you know, seven or eight good, All Star production season than one MVP season and six or seven seasons where he can't stay on the field or doesn't do well so that's a story to watch with the yankees too i think mm. um yeah yeah I I, say, no yeah maybe lemayhew is a better player no i i agree and well, lemayhew is more important certainly right now for the yankees because of all the things that you know is is kind of you know going haywire right now he's the one that needs to be consistent and so far i think he has you know he's dj lemayhew he's a professional hitter um you know, I stand by this and, and, you know, I stand by my pick when I said Gary Sanchez a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to stand by that now just because if he's the one who gets going and he's the one who gets this team going, then they become a very different team entirely because he's not someone you can go at as aggressively as a pitcher. You can't attack him because he's probably not going to strike out as much. Yeah. And that was his Achilles heel for a long time is the strikeouts and the swing and miss at, at bad pitches. Um, obviously the home run potential is there. The power is never, never in doubt with Gary Sanchez. It's the rest of it. And, you know, but, but you're right though. Giancarlo Stanton is a worry and, you know, judge is kind of a worry too, because he hasn't exactly lit it up either. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, both those guys are, are for sure, but you know, I think that uh, if I were the Yankees, I'd start to wonder what's the deal with Stanton here. Yeah, I mean, so that's that's one thing. And you know, Gary Sanchez too, like you said. But um, you know, he was even when he was great, he was never up to the standards that Joe and Carlos Stanton was. Yeah, so, I mean, Judge so far this season. I mean, he he has an OPS of a thousand. He's hitting three oh eight, and you know, he has four homers, but he only has seven RBIs. And he has how many hits in total? Uh, 
12 hits in total wow. in 10 games. So, you know, he's he's doing all right. I mean, his standards are obviously really lofty based on that incredible breakout season he had where it seemed like he hit a home run every other day, um, oh. if not if not more. Dude, it was nuts. Yeah, when he hit, uh, let's see, it was, which season was it? It was 2017 with 52 homers, 114 ribbies, uh, 127 walks, and uh, 128 runs, and 154 hits in 155 games. Yeah, second in the MVP to, um, yeah, I wonder who. No, no, that was American League. Second, is there someone in the American League I can think of who who wins MVP? Quite a lot. Um, Nah, no one really comes to mind. Not. Not, oh wait, no, that was the year Altuve won. That's right. That's right. Uh-oh. It wasn't Mike Trout for once. Mike Trout finished fourth that year in MVP voting. Yeah. But you know, uh, Altuve, um, you know, could feel it coming in the air tonight, literally, because you know, because the buzzers and and all the cheating and 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 yeah. the Houston Astros are cheaters. Wow. What a what a pathetic franchise. I know what a pathetic. They they deserve any everything they're gonna get from here here until basically the end of time. Yeah. I mean it's. I hope so. They deserve it too. It's just so funny though that they got swept by the Tigers and their old manager. <laughs> that to me is really funny. You know, I would say he, yeah, I mean, and there was a great Sports Illustrated article actually about how Oza Altuve, like the, uh, all this, the noise got to him last year, you know, um, the struggles. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The Astros are going to, are going to get it, are going to get it to them, bro. Um, and they they deserve it. They hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent. Well, I I do want to get to uh, a couple more things we we touch on before getting to soccer and kind of wrapping up for the night. Yeah. Um, no hitters this year. We've had two no hitters already. We've had Joe Musgrove and Carlos Rodon, and I, I'm happy the Padres finally have a no hitter. I think they were were they the only franchise to not have a no hitter. There might have been them and does Colorado have a no hitter? Uh, no, no, they don't. So it's, I think it's only Colorado now. Yeah. I mean, cause they were, uh, it's something like that, but, but yeah, so far, I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to see no hitters this early in the season. Um, although what I will say though, is with, with Rodon's no hitter, the, the whole, um, hit by pitch thing is just, uh, oh. that's a tough one. That's a really tough one. If you're a White Sox fan. Yeah, no, I mean, I would say. That was so unfortunate, bro. I mean, I could not believe he hit Perez. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, boy. And I was just like, like, what are you doing? Just throw the ball over the plate. You know, he's not going to hit it. So, <laughs> Oof. You know. my, um, my self-destructive uh, Atlanta takes have, have rubbed off on you, haven't they? In the form of yeah. your anti-Cleveland, uh, anti-Cleveland baseball team. I mean, you know, I'm not, we're not contenders, but we got off to a good start. You know, Cleveland's um, right there right now. Pretty well, pretty good start through 12, 13 games. Yeah. You know, what did I tell you when, um, you know, after the Lindor trade, it's like, you know, it it sucks. I get it, but you know, nothing's a guarantee and you still have a really good foundation for a good solid ball club. Yeah. No one, no one in that organization, I think is waving the white flag, least of all Terry Francona. No one's waving the white flag. Not waving the white flag, but are we contenders? No. I mean, maybe can, you know, I would never rule out the Indians contending for a wild card spot, but, you know, 
But we'll I mean, see. you you never know though. The, the like we're saying, the American League is so wide open that you just don't know. Yeah, this is the year where it's like absolutely anything can happen. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to get more wide open than this. There's no clear favorite this year in the American League. I mean, yeah. the White Sox are going to try to establish themselves as that. The Blue Jays might get hot and do that with Springer. Hmm. The Astros, with their experience and their cheating, uh, the Oakland A's, they're starting to starting to roll again. Uh, you never know. And the Sox won nine in a row. They can do it. They have the potential, and they have their manager back. Yeah. So it's only, uh, you know, time will tell, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I want to touch on before we uh, switch gears and talk about the beautiful game over in Europe is uh, the incident in Milwaukee, or was it in Chicago? The incident between the Brewers and the Cubs. I think it was in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, right, where um, where the Cubs pitcher threw behind uh, Brandon yep. Woodruff mm-hmm. after um, what's his name? After uh, the Cubs catcher, whose name I'm blanking on. Why am I blanking on his name? Contreras. In- Wilson Contreras, right? After Wilson Contreras getting grazed by a ball that he was trying to get hit by, uh, got upset at the Brewers for them hitting him even though he tried to get hit and then they threw behind one of the brewers best pitchers and it's just it's one of those things that's like it's like why are you doing this why what is going on inside that head like i i get it you know it's 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 frustrating sometimes the sport because it's so hard but like why why would you do that yeah yeah i mean what do you think going I, I just think it's ridiculous, honestly. I, I don't really have much more than that. It's just like, it's, I, I get it, win at all costs, but let's be, let's be kind of, let's be mature about it. Like, this is just petty and childish. That's all it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would agree with you on. Um, I agree. <laughs> and, yeah. I mean, I just want to bring up that point up because it's one of those things that's like, there's a reason people are running away from baseball. And that's one of the reasons It's that grown men can't act like it. They have to act like children and just like, oh, he hit me. Oh, you're trying to get him. Oh, he hit me. Don't throw behind me. And just whining like a bunch of children. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, the game is just getting so, uh, it's getting annoying. And I'll tell you, I just, yeah, I, People are getting too petty. Um, yeah. Oh, I think the one, you know what annoys me more than anything? What's that? I cannot stand, I I forgot what game I was watching it, because I feel like it happens all the time now. So I, I can't, I mean, it's all blurred, but like, it's like, I can't stand when a pitcher hits someone because he's annoyed at a celebration or a bat flip. Oh. And it's the worst. Just stop. Like stop getting mad. Like, yeah. Oh, you know what game it was? It was um. And uh, oh, you know, you know what game? I don't know if it was that game, but remember the incident, uh, the Nick Castellanos incident in the uh, um, Cardinals game. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Ah. Uh, why? Why are baseball players like this? Why? Why do they feel the need to get mad at someone for pimping a home run? Yeah. <laughs> like like you gave up a tank in the first place. That's your fault. That's your doing. Like 50% of that is you. Have some fun, you know what I mean? Yeah, like like would you not like have a nice little like K strut or a K dance off the mound if you struck out like Mike Trout on three pitches? Like come on now. Like with the bases loaded in a, in a tie game? Like you do the same thing. 
in moments like that, you would like Marcus Stroman, I think is a perfect example of that. He's like, if I strike you out. I'm going to let you know I struck you out. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's fine. That's, and, and he's one of those guys too. He's like, you hit a home run off me. I just kind of tip my cap and go, yeah, that's, that's fine. It becomes personal. If you direct, if you, if you use your, you know, actions and words to deliberately insult someone, that's right. That's when it becomes kind of thing. And I think that that's yeah. getting confused with people celebrating. And that's, that's the thing that baseball players need to stop doing. Like, please, you're professional athletes. Like, let's be professional, please. Just a little bit of profession, like just a little bit. Yeah. And, and not act like a bunch of children. There's unwritten rules are, are stupid and they should be never referred to ever again in baseball. Please. You said you hit it right on the nail, bro. It's it like, there's no crying in baseball, but there's a lot of crying going on right now. So something's not adding up. Yeah. I very well said. Very, very well said. Yeah. Anyways, speaking of, uh, of sports where there's a lot of crying, um, we have a, we have a semifinal, uh, roster upon us in the Champions League. And one of those teams, Willie, is none other than your beloved Chelsea Football Club. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Chelsea in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. How about that? Quarterfinals? Or sorry. Semifinals. Excuse me. They won their quarterfinal matchup against Porto, which, you know, I, I wish Liverpool got Porto because if we got Porto, we go to the final. We're in the uh, semifinals of the, F or the, uh, the FA Cup. Yep. So, you know, a trophy is very, very much still on for, for Tomas Tuchel and, and, you know, half a season in charge. Yeah, it, the, the, the turnaround under Tuchel has been, a, you know, a remarkable, a remarkable thing. Um, I mean, looks like me, you know, as much as I love Lampard, I mean, it, it's maybe looking at take is not aging very well. Nope. And I was not that happy, but. You know what? Sometimes you got to admit when you're wrong. It's okay. Yeah. And and that's that's yeah. the fun that we have that. with our podcast. Yeah. You admit more so, wrong. I was wrong and um I mean I will say I have no expectations for next season because I've seen the manager bump happen way too many times, but this is definitely more than a manager bump. It's just like incredible you know, I think that Tuchel's, you know, he has a good, he's figured out a good system of play. Um, players seem re-energized. Re look, they look like two different teams, the team you saw earlier in the season. Um, and heck, I mean, I don't really think that there's a, a really elite team, you know, this year. And so, man, if you're a Chelsea fan, you're sitting here like, wait a minute, I think, I think we could actually win, <laughs> you know? Well, a lot of uh, comparisons on social media keep getting made to the uh, 2012 team that won the Champions League uh, against Bayern Munich. And it was just like all the coincidences that happened. Like they man young promising manager got fired mid season. Um, uh, I can't remember all of them, but like played, a, played a Portuguese team in the quarterfinals, playing a Spanish team in the semifinals, you know, things of that nature. Sure. So, but yeah. what I will say though, is that, Timo Werner is making progress. He didn't miss any clear-cut chances against Porto in the second leg. He didn't miss any. And that's definitely 100% unequivocally not because he didn't play. That's not why. <laughs> that's, that's, that's sarcasm, obviously. That he, that's, that's the reason why. Um, I, I look, got 
yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Owen. No, I was just gonna say, as much as like Cloud and Timo Werner, like I want him to be successful because I I do like the Bundesliga and I like the players that come from the Bundesliga, and it's just like it's just funny because I think it's because of the English media that has a perception of like he's gonna be this gifted child who like turns down Liverpool for Chelsea and it's gonna be all vindicated when when he scores like 25 goals a season for Chelsea. It's like, no, not, that's not exactly the case. Like he was never going to start for Liverpool. He was always going to be a, 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 you know, super sub to begin with until he could knock one of the front three off their, uh, their starting spot. But he's a pace merchant and he yeah, runs in behind. He would have been a great super sub. Let's be honest. Yeah, no, he would have been a fantastic super sub. He runs in behind better than almost anyone, but he's like a poor man's Jamie Vardy. He just can't finish. He just can't seem to, Oh, score goals. Honestly, I think it's. I, I mean, well, I, you're right. That's a good point. I mean, I would, I would, you know, I would say, current, yeah, coming mean, currently, you know, Werner, not nowhere close to the Jamie Vardy, but um, when he's healthy. But um, yeah, I would say, look, this game is a funny game, and uh, <laughs> you know, we can chalk up maybe this season to adapting to the league and the country a little bit. But I mean. I think that, you know, a couple months in the next season, uh, we could be talking about selling him um, for a bad fee if uh, he doesn't turn it around. I would say they're lucky, right? Because Chelsea doesn't really have a a clear cut striker they trust. You know, they there's all these rumors about Chelsea wanting to bring in a new striker. I mean. Drew is really good, but he's old, and then you know, then no one ever seems to ever want to trust him permanently. You've got you know Abraham, who you know never seems to get a, a full run of games anymore. Uh, you know they play Havertz up there as kind of a false nine. Is that a permanent solution? I'm not sure. So the only thing really keeping him around, to be perfectly honest, and not buried on the bench or sold, is the fact that Chelsea thought he was the guy, but. Um, if Chelsea make a per, I mean, this is a quick game, and uh, Werner could find himself probably back in Germany pretty soon if he's if he's not careful. And I gotta say, Owen, um, you seem like you really hit it right on the nail. You, you kind of called it. Uh, so the only reason I had that take is because Germany and Chelsea kind of played similar styles, uh, at least you know when when Werner was first signed under under Lampard. Right, so they're very possession-heavy teams, fullbacks bombing forward and joining the attack, and there's no real clear-cut central striker. Right, I mean, occasionally they'd play, you know, they'd play Giroud or Tammy Abraham in that role, but it was never like one person is the clear-cut striker. Germany was also the exact same thing when he played with them in the World Cup in 2018, and he was invisible every single game. Yeah, like you could barely tell he played. He barely touched the ball. And like Julian Brandt made more, uh, or Brandt rather, made more of an impact in the World Cup in 2018 than Timo Werner. Timo Werner started every game. All, I mean, all three of them, but, you know, he started all of those games and he made no impact whatsoever. Brandt came into the game as a sub in all of them, except for maybe two, I don't remember. And he had more of an impact. He was much more, li- much livelier than Werner ever was. And to me, that's, that is the telltale sign of someone who is, um, don't get me wrong, he was amazing in Leipzig's system the last couple seasons. He was fantastic. Scoring goals, assisting, etc. But that's only because Leipzig play a certain way. 
yeah. only because they play on counterattack. Yeah, Teams yeah. that play on the counterattack are phenomenal with guys like Werner. You know, Leipzig can play that counterattack and kind of dynamic movement uh, up front and just press. I mean, uh, just, you know, uh, full speed blitz forward. You're right. You, you had a good. Yeah. And I mean, you know what, Owen, you're absolutely right. I think you could kind of, you can kind of see it if you watch it. You can certainly see why the skepticism was there, right? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I will say this, um, you know, Tuchel seems to have, you know, first, I think I think a back three is just a good system in general. Honestly, it's just a quick, easy way to solve whatever defensive issues you have. But, you know, look, I mean, I think Chelsea are a good striker away from, you know, I mean, this Champions League run is, is probably kind of a fluke, but you know they're they're uh, a good striker away from, I mean, really contending for the Premier League next season. I would say, um, and yeah, they what they've what they've done is really impressive. And and hey, like I mean, you know, I don't care, you know, La Liga's the top is a little weak this time, and so you know, Real Madrid is. Having, I guess, real, you know, uh, they're near the top of, you know, they could win La Liga very well, mm. very easily. But, um, mm. you know, this is still not one of the more strong Real Madrid squads. Yeah. Certainly not one of the Champions League winning squads. And so, um, and heck, I mean, you know, Chelsea, um, you know, they, uh, they've beaten Manchester City, um, you know, in the past, um, you know, like last season. <laughs> and so, you know, hey, like, I, I mean... I'm looking there as a Chelsea fan. I'm like, we could very well win this in this tournament. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And yeah. it's funny you bring up Zidane because I, I did want to talk about Real Madrid a little bit, uh, just to talk about Zidane a little bit. But but going back to going back to what your you know your hopes about Chelsea, it, it does have that feel that it's like we're not expected to be here. Yeah, it, kind of everything's playing, kind of they're playing with house money a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. So. You know, I don't. If they won it, I would not be surprised. Honestly, sometimes that can that can happen in in this competition, and it's a crazy, crazy competition, crazy sport as well. Just the, you know, being in a pandemic and and all the stuff that goes with it. Uh, I do want to talk about Zidane though. Sure, Zidane is a fabulous manager. Oh. oh my god, the way he set up Real Madrid in both legs against Liverpool, where they're throwing the kitchen sink at you, is astounding. The way he can get those kind of performances out of aging players like Casemiro, Tony Kroos, and Luka Modric is insanity. Yep. I don't know if it's 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 pragmatism, it's man management, and it's also just sheer understanding of how to win. That is a sign of a world class manager. And when you know when Real Madrid won that third Champions League in a row, people were saying, "Oh, it's just because of Bale and Ronaldo and, and Benzema. It's just the quality they have." And it's like, "No, Zidane was actually a huge part of that. Like bigger than I think a lot of people myself included. Like I was wrong here. Uh gave him credit for." And so at this point, you have to sit back and say, "You know what? I was wrong. He's a fantastic manager." He's I just wanted to manager. bring up that point. He's a fantastic manager on and it's funny, right? Because I I actually really like Spanish soccer. And so um, they have a good uh, show on 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 Fridays where they, you know, it's a La Liga talk show on uh, Fanatis. And um, sorry, I'm being sports, which I watch through Fanatis. 
Um, but, you know, early in the I mean, it's always like this, but early in the season, um, you know, I would say, well, I, would, I would even say a third of the way. Zidane's a fantastic manager. Uh, their squad is not up to par. Like you said, they got a lot of aging players. They've had injury problems at times. Um, but I'd say about a third of the way through the season, um, there was talk that Zidane had one or two more games to prove he should stay a manager, and they're going to sack him because they started off really horribly maybe the first month or two, uh, you know, and Atletico opened up like a 12, 13-point gap in La Liga. And um, and so he's just an incredible manager. The players like playing for him. Like you said, he I think he's underrated tactically. And, um, yeah, Zidane's a fantastic manager. Uh, so, you know, I would say Chelsea is um, – he, they're he, they're underdogs in the matchup, but um, you know I I am really looking forward to watching. It. Um, yeah, I, I think it would be it's it's fun to watch them. Man, they're it, it's going to be a great leg. I think that is going to be a great leg. Um, yeah, no, I I'm excited for that matchup as well. We have we have really really uh, mouth watering prospect on our hands with with that one. Uh, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. The other semifinal matchup, El Cashico. Oil money versus oil money. Huh. Um this, this mass this matchup is it's gonna sound like sour grapes. It's gonna sound like I'm bitter, but this matchup is nauseating. I'm sorry. It's nauseating. Yeah. The only reason these two clubs have become relevant in the last decade is because of billionaire. Uh, oil tycoons in the Middle East. That's it. Well, that that is that is in essence the state of world football at the moment. It's purely based on money. And I read a book um, on the the finance of you know the business of English soccer basically. And it ta- I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head, but it, it talked about the business aspect and how the game changed when Abramovich bought Chelsea in what was it two thousand two. And then when Sheikh Mansour bought City in 2008, and it's just the, the the development of those two clubs and how the game has gone from, you know, what it was when it was very much like players would come up through the academy and, and you know, a big transfer was like 35 million pounds. You know, how that has d- evolved over the last, you know, 15 or so years, Yeah, I think is 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 all down to just money. And this is the byproduct of that. This is that finally coming to fruition because city after what was it? Eight years after being bought, finally were able to have Pep Guardiola as their manager. You know, one of the elite of the elite managers, someone they had wanted since he was at Bayern Munich, you know, or I mean, before that really at Barcelona and you know, lo and behold, they have him. They're able to give him all the resources he wants and the resources he needs to build a formidable squad. He's built that squad. He's got them to play at their very best. And, you know, Pep is a great manager. I'm not, Pep is arguably the best manager in the world because he is able to put together squads that are so lethal on such a consistent basis. Um, And, and that, it's all because they can afford it. You know, do you think Pep Guardiola was thinking at the beginning of his managerial career, man, I want to manage in Manchester at some point in my career, but not Manchester United. 
I want to manage Manchester City, you know, back in what the 90s and early 2000s and when he was a player as well. You think that crossed his mind? It's just money. You know, PSG is a little different because it's, you know, it's Paris. That's that's a little more attractive as a prospect than Manchester, you know, just and and this is not because I hate Manchester specifically. It's because of the weather. People talk about the weather like it's bad. I've never been there, but I know the weather's bad. Right. So it's one of those things where it's it's just money. That's that's all this game is. It's just money. And there's going to be a lot of star power between those two. I mean, City, you think about De Bruyne, Ruben yeah. Diaz is, has emerged as one of the top center backs in the world. Um, Riyad Mahrez is in great form. Gundogan is in the best form of his life. Yeah. Um, you know, up and down the team, there there aren't really any gaping flaws. Rodri is one of the best defensive midfielders in the world. Yeah. Um, it, it really is just pure class and a world-class manager in Guardiola. On the other side, there's, you know, a certain Brazilian player who's worth a lot of money mm. and likes to spend a lot of time on the ground. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. Neymar yeah. likes to dive. Yeah, definitely, man. You're, I think you're right when you say he kind of ruined the game in some sense. He was, he was the first one, I think, to just really blatantly just flop all the time. You know? Yeah. Um, which I, I just want to say on how funny would it be if PSG win the Champions League and don't even win League One? They're in second. That'd be that'd be really funny. They're it in would. Place right now, the uh, uh, Lille. Um, yeah, it's gonna be a mouth-watering matchup that one. Um, they've looked really good in the Champions League for sure. Yeah. Um, I would say, but with regards to your claims, I, I do just want to say, um, you know, for all the shit we give them, I'll definitely. I mean, he seems like he's gonna stay there for a while, but. I mean, I honestly don't know. I mean, let me ask you this question. How many teams have been better over a stretch that you can remember than Pep's Man City teams? I mean, they've been just incredible for, what, five, six years now? Like, it's yeah. incredible stretch. I, I mean, since I've been a fan, the only one that can come close is Bayern Munich, and that's only because domestically they they just steamroll everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but even even so, Pep was manager at Bar- uh, Bayern Munich, too, when that when that was, you know, still going on. I mean, they just won the treble and he became manager. So not a bad uh, not a bad way for Jupp Heynckes to go out the first time or whatever. Yeah. Well, I think that was like his second stint, second or third stint in charge. I don't know. He's, he's been a Bayern a lot. Um, Mm-hmm. No, I, I since I've been a fan, Bayern is the only team I can really talk about. Um, even at Barcelona, it wasn't. Well, I, I mean, yeah, okay, Barcelona, but I wasn't a fan, like a close fan at that at that point. Yeah. So I, I'd say that's the only one. And then going back to that's probably Man United. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're we're talking about like a generationally great team and a run of form that's just it's going to stand the test of time. Absolutely, it's going to stand the test of time. On it's, it's, it's really incredible. And like, say what you want, but like, even last year when they had a relatively down season, I mean, they picked it up in the later part of the season and in the Premier League, and then in all the other competitions, they did well. You know, yeah, the trophies, and you know, got a little unlucky to lose in the quarterfinals of the Champions League to uh, Lyon, but you know, yeah. I mean. Yeah. 
it's really incredible run they've, they've been on. Right. I think it's one of those things also where, um, where seeing Liverpool win the Champions League and having to give them a guard of honor was pretty, you know, maybe maybe just a wake up call uh, and one that they really needed. Um, although it's funny though, because Bernardo Silva apparently didn't get the message that you're supposed to give a guard of honor, uh, because he just held his hand behind his back the whole time, which is honestly pretty disrespectful. Like I get it. There's, there's one thing to not win a title, but to, to be that petty about it is a little, you know, uncalled for personal opinion, but that's, that's neither here nor there. We're not talking about that. Um, yeah, the, the money he spent, the squad he's built. This is, this has been one of Pep's greatest achievements. And if, if city win the champions league, then he, I think, will go down as the greatest manager ever. Yeah. And I, I don't think, I, I won't have any, any more, um, I won't be able to argue against that anymore. And I'll, I'm just going to stop arguing against it. Yeah, I mean. But, right. but, if PSG beat Man City and go to the final, then the questions are going to start mounting again. Is, is Pep really good enough? Is yeah. Pep really as good as he, as he says he was? Because well, you think about, Okay, let's look at the squad he has at City right now. Obviously, a very deep, very good squad with one of the best young talents of this generation in Phil Foden. Okay. Bayern Munich, the squad he had. Kroos, I mean, Kroos, I think, was only for one year. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. Um, but he had a, a stacked Bayern Munich team. Yes, they won the Bundesliga in record time, but couldn't win the Champions League. Got as far as the semis, and that's it. Um, and then before that at Barcelona, when you had a player who many regard as the greatest of all time in Messi. So really, is it, it's a question of, you know, he's a great tactical manager, but does he get in his own way? And does that prevent him from being the best? I mean, well, people will say, well, it's, well, he won the league, so that requires more longevity. And it's like, that's true. But every club he's been at, he's had abundant resources to be able to go and strengthen squads and have really deep squads and, and things of that nature. So, you know, yeah. it's read into it what you will, I guess, as far as the, well, the champions league stuff, but I'll tell you what, it, this is their year. This is the year they've got to win it Doors yeah. wide for them. They're playing really well. So th this is the year they have to win it for them. Yeah, I agree. They, they do have to win this year or just looking their chops that Byron lost. Yeah. They're so happy because, I guarantee you they did not want to play Bayern. <laughs> no. Especially if Bayern had a healthy Lewandowski. Lewandowski yeah. was the difference. That's in, probably in, the reason they lost. In no. That time. no, it is absolutely the reason because they just didn't have that clinical edge. I mean, Chupa Moting is not Robert Lewandowski. He's just, he's not. I mean, he, he, he played well for Bayern in those two games, but he's not. You can't just substitute anyone for the greatest striker in the world at this current you know, best out and out striker right now. I don't think a lot of people can argue against Lewandowski. Like who, who can you realistically say, yeah, no, he's a better striker than, than, than Lewandowski. Yeah. I mean, Lewandowski. I, I mean, even you. prime Suarez against prime Lewandowski, I'd still probably give the edge to Lewandowski. I don't know. <sighs> prime Suarez was pretty, pretty good though. Pretty insane. Yeah. But prime Lewandowski is bananas. Uh. So it, it's a toss-up, honestly. So it depends on what you value more in a striker. I would say Lewandowski, the last four or five years, really took it up a notch. Yeah. I'll tell you what. Uh, Holland, 
at this pace will be better than both of them. Yeah. And that's actually a point I wanted to hit on before we get to our uh, hot takes. Which is, um, a, which is a high bar. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. The, I mean, um, I'm glad. Those other two are two of the best of all time. So Exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to talk about Holland, Jaden Sancho, and Jude Bellion. Three very, very, very good young players. Uh, none of whom will be a Dortmund for you know longer than three years from now. Um, that's just the way they operate. I think the consensus is probably City are going to do everything they can to sign Holland. Um, yeah. Manchester United wants Sancho, and honestly, everyone's going to want Jude Bellingham after how he played in those uh, those two legs against City. You know, he's robbed of a he was robbed of a goal in the first leg, which still kind of irked me. Um, that that kind of decision was was you know. They let that decision stand, I guess, is the what I'm what I'm getting at, and it's just they got to sort out VAR, but we can have a VAR game oh, um, podcast. I love you know European soccer and watching the different leagues. I, I would just hate being a Dortmund fan, like because other than when they had Klopp there, they're not quite good enough to really win anything, and. They just have this absurd academy system that produces all these good players, and then they're always sold every single time. So it's like I'd I'd be so aggravated if I was a Bruce Dortmund fan. I mean, imagine being an Ajax fan too. It's the same principle. They have really good academies, really good at developing players, and then they all just end up getting sold to the big boys, yeah, the bigger boys. Yeah, I mean, I'm, Ajax, they're a big club. Let's not make no mistake. Ajax are a big club. Dortmund uh, are a big club, too. But I mean, like you said, Owen, I mean, um, man, if Bellingham and, and Holland, I mean, these are two. Also, I mean, you're not even talking about, you know, Mukuku or Mwaku. Yeah. His name. That guy, give him a year or two. That guy could be stud, too. Yeah. Gio Reyna as well. Yeah, eh, I don't think he's quite in the same class, but he's right. But he's a very, very good young talent. Very, very good. And it's just consistent with the way Dortmund operate, you know? Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's sad. I would, uh, especially when you sell players to, to Bayern. It's, yeah, that's the worst part. Like losing. I don't know why they, don't know why they just say, we're not going to sell you to Bayern. Like, why don't they do like what American teams do, which is just like, We'll sell you outside of our division or conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like we'll let you go to we'll let you go to England. We'll let you go to Spain, but just no, don't go to Bayern. No, don't go to Bayern. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's that's the part of the game that's really rough for Dortmund fans. Be killing them. Looking at Lewandowski. Like, oh. I mean, obviously he he didn't really pan out the way they wanted to, and and you know he's still I think I think he's still looking for a club, uh, but Gutza. When he went from Bayern to, he went a little too soon, and I think it, it showed. Um, Lewandowski was on a free transfer. Oh, sorry, what'd you say? No, I'd say Gotso was kind of a disappointment for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, big. Um, you know, Lewandowski on a free transfer. Hummels wasn't very expensive either to go to Bayern, but then he came back. So well, Hummels, but yeah, I mean, Bayern got his prime year. Yeah, and he now he's in the twilight of his career back at Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, he's in the twilight. So, yeah. Oh, no. so. Just stop, stop selling, stop selling them to uh, also just like the fact they bought, you know, um, you know, the fact that they're going to get, I, dude, 
it's just like Leipzig, bro. Like, really? Like, you know where I'm going with this. Like, of course you're going to give them <laughs> a generational player. It's just like, my gosh. Bayern's the worst, bro. Like, say what you want about Man City, but they, I don't know. They don't really, you know, they haven't bought that many players from, the like, the Premier League, you know? Um, but it's like, <laughs> Germany is just like, Take we're gonna poach all the best Bundesliga players. <laughs> You're gonna stay right here. <laughs> it's yeah, crazy. it's like they're trying to make one one super club in the form of Bayern Munich. Yeah. Um, so, you know. Anyways, you know, I think that in terms of you know, Upi Makano, I'm just like honestly like if. Like, how are they ever going to lose again? <laughs> like, with Lupe Meccano. Like, from what we found out... Uh, injuries. Injuries, exactly. Yeah. So. And that's just a part of the game they have to they have to navigate. I mean, it really, when Lewandowski retires, they need to find a good a good striker, like a, a big striker. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that, Owen. It's been the key thread for them for seven or eight years. Um, that will be uh, something I'm not sure they can replace. Uh, when, yeah, but, you know... But, Lewandowski is a generational talent discovered by none other than Jurgen Klopp. What? Who said that? That was me. Klopp found him. Yeah. Or it was one of you know one of Klopp's scouts. His part of the the reason he built Dortmund from a, a nearly bankrupt club into Germany's elite back to back years, and then in the Champions League final, losing narrowly to a incredible last minute goal by uh, by Bayern. Yeah. I mean, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Um. Really quickly, Willie. Uh, I want you to put on your uh, your fortune teller's uh, fortune teller's hat. I want you to tell me two different sets of predictions. I want you to tell me who goes to the Champions League final and who wins. And I want you to tell me where Holland, Sancho, and Bellingham end up uh, when they do leave Dortmund. Wow! Wow! Okay. Um. So I would say. Right, that's that's interesting. Um, I think Sancho and Holland both have to end up in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. Although I don't think Holland is actually going to leave soon. To be perfectly honest, I don't think he's going to leave soon. Bellingham, ugh. I don't know. I feel like Bellingham could go anywhere. What about you? Uh, so I've got Holland going to City. Yeah. Sancho going to United. And Bellingham going to Arsenal. Wow, that would be a great, great fit. Ex- that that's my thinking exactly. I think the prospect of going back to England and playing in a place where you know he's English, so it makes sense, yeah. I guess. And Arsenal are you know they're they're a team that they're still in transition, but they're building something for the future, and he could be a key I part of that. You know, it's it's going to be the financial side of it that might price them out of a deal. You never know. They're building something for the future. I'm not sure. No, uh, that's 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 a rough one. Don't let uh, don't let the guys hear you. Um, and your predictions? Yeah. And your prediction for the Champions League? Uh, who's who goes to the final and who wins? Yeah, I think it's Man City's year. I think Man City. Um, I think it'd be spicy, but I I do have. Uh, um, 
Man City uh, beating Real Madrid. About you? I've got the opposite. I've got Real Madrid beating Man City in the final. Oh, oh, wow. Do you? Yeah. Wow. Because we know Pep notoriously overthinks big games. Yeah. And, and, you know, he'll try something different that he doesn't try in, in other games for some reason. And I think this is one of those times. Um, and and Zid- I don't know why how he does what he does, but Zidane is just ridiculous. Wow. Okay. He's, yeah, he's world class. So. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Owen. Uh, he does overthink big games. Man, if they lose this Champions League, um, I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so okay. So I give I give Pep a lot of grief, but there's something to be said about this sustained excellence by City. It's ridiculous, but you're right in big, like this is what he was brought here to win. He was brought to city to win the champions league and to win multiple champions leagues. Yeah. So far he hasn't delivered on that, but no, you know, on the one that gets me is, I mean, I know this sounds weird, but maybe four or five months ago, I actually rewatched the, uh, was it 2013 champions league final between Bayern and uh, Dortmund? 2013. And um, I was sitting there and I'm just like, you know, look, that Bayern team was good, but I don't know how Pep just didn't win it with Bayern. I, I don't, I don't like, like, it doesn't make any sense. Right. So, I don't know. None of this adds up, man. That's my barometer with Pep too, is, is that team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. And yeah. And what he's shown us with City is that he needs players who can exactly play a certain way, and maybe he didn't have that at Bayern, because he already had a world-class squad. So is he a manager who has to have players who can play a certain way, or can he be flexible? And I I don't know if we're ever going to know that answer. Yeah. uh, He's incredible, man. Um, but you're right. We're we're never really going to know that answer. What he could do, for the worst spot. It's it's definitely an anomaly, bro. It's definitely an anomaly. Um, anomaly to see something like this. Right. You no. Know? I mean, that's that's if he doesn't win the Champions League. But I think every every sign is pointing to that. As much as I don't want them to win the Champions League, I think they have a very they're they're probably favorites, honestly, at this point. Oh, they are. I mean, for sure. Um, yeah. I would say, you know, just funny enough. Um, I just, I still remember the Champions League beatdown, um, the the not this time but the previous thumping, uh, Barcelona Bayern Munich, like that was crazy, the reverse um, in uh, in 2013. Yeah, yeah, that was something. That was crazy. I I still can't believe that one. And the fact that Dortmund that year also beat Real Madrid. Yep. Jose Mourinho's Real Madrid. You know that. That's one of the things that's, I think, doesn't get talked about as as much either. Semis, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah and was... Lewandowski had four games in the four four games, four goals in the first game. Yeah, incredible, so, man. absolutely crazy. Incredible. Four goals in the first leg, unbelievable. I can't wait but, to see what happens in the Champions League. Yeah, it's really anything goes. Good question. That's... How big do you think it would be if um, Pulisic has seemed to really caught some form here? If he can stay healthy. Uh, how big do you think it would be win if he plays a part of Chelsea uh, winning the champ if they win the Champions League and somehow Pulisic maybe starts 
uh, he seems like he's claimed the starting spot now and say he you know scores a goal or something. How big a deal do you think that would be? As far as U.S. soccer being good? Yeah, or just, you know, fandom, growing the game, U.S. soccer. Well, if U.S. soccer, like the Federation, actually cared about the game, then it'd be huge, but they don't care about the development of the game. They care about profit hmm. because... Greg Berhalter is the national team coach, and that says that's everything you need to know about the national team at the at the moment and the soccer federation. That's sure. it. Garbage. Yeah. Absolute sure. garbage. Oh, you're the guy. I, I gotta say, I mean, you know, say what you want, but like, I mean, like I said, Pulisic set the record for most fouls, uh, you know, drawn. Um, and so, man, that guy. I mean, he's a like. I legitimately think he's a world-class player when he can, if he could ever just stay healthy for a full season. Right. So my, my doubt is not Pulisic's quality. It's not his, uh, his appeal and his ability to grow the game in the States. It's the other 10 players that he has to play with when he's with the national team. And on top of that, it's the manager of the national team. Yeah. Well, the manager of the national team is nowhere near good enough for the U.S. to even be thinking about the knockouts of the World Cup, let alone winning the damn thing. Mm-hmm. And the players next to Pulisic, fine. Like, there's there's some talent there. I mean, yes, Tyler Adams is good. Josh Sargent, Zach Steffen, uh, John Brooks. There's there's a, a healthy smattering of talent in the U.S. squad. But the person who has to bring that all together and manage them is nowhere near good enough. Yeah. When your achievement is being an okay manager for the Columbus crew and you get handed the reins to the national team, something's wrong. Yeah. I something's mean, very wrong. Right, right. Um, yeah. The only time I ever see a Burr game play live, I went to uh, LAFC play Columbus and uh, <laughs> they smacked them 3 0. Yeah, I, it's sad. Um, but that guy is a special player, man. And uh, yeah, he is. Soccer as I mean, I can't wait to see what the U.S. soccer puts out in five, six years. Um, he could very well be the greatest American player ever, and we'd miss out on capitalizing on that talent with zero World Cups. I I don't think there's a doubt that he already is the best player ever in U.S. soccer. Hmm. I don't think there's a doubt. There's an argument for Donovan, I think. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, for national team. If you're strictly going to talk about national oh, team. Oh, for, for club, I, I think, yeah. I don't think anyone's played for a club bigger yeah. than Chelsea. And even that, I mean, Donovan kind of flamed out when he was in Europe. So Right, and he's, and he's making an impact at Chelsea, too. And he, yeah. he came up with Dortmund, and he made an impact with Dortmund, yeah. too. I think so. I'd say Pulisic was a better player than Donovan. Donovan what Donovan yes. did for the national team is, um, I mean, I think Donovan was one of the best international players of all time. I mean, I really think no matter what national team you look at, I mean, it was just incredible, but yeah. Um, yeah. Marco. Yeah. Uh, well, we can't predict the future, Willie. And that's, you know, that's part of the nature of what we do. Why we do what we do rather. Uh, it's because we can't predict the future and, you know, but we know what we care about now. We care about mental health and we care about, uh, you know, enjoying ourselves and enjoying sports while they're, uh, while they're good and enjoying talent while it's, uh, you know, on full display. But the reason I say we can't think into the you can't see into the future is because we have this segment on the show that you're all too familiar with. Okay. Our hot takes segment. And it's time for our hot takes. 
Okay, you go, you go ahead. All right, here's my hot take. The Braves aren't making the playoffs. Wow. Um, I'm, I, I'm yeah. going to call it right now 82 wins. Okay. That's, um, really? 82 wins. From what I've seen this year, well, I have... Well, i got to be honest with you, on. I mean, 82 wins, fine season. It's it's a winning record, sure, but for a team that was within a win away from like that was in one within one win of the World Series, no, not good enough. Okay, well, that's really, and so they're going to finish second, fourth. Okay, wow. I think they could very well finish behind the Marlins. Well, they're uh, not careful. That's uh, that's really interesting. Uh, and again, I'm looking straight into my camera for this in case I put this on the internet. I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong. Yeah. So that's uh, I I want you to be wrong too. My World Series prediction. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. It's, you know, you have more motivation than I do. Wow. Wow. No. That's no. uh. That's my only take for the night. This, I mean, watching the game on, on Wednesday night really, or yeah, last night really, or sorry, no, Tuesday night really put a, you know, that was a, that was a punch in the gut for me. Well, that's, um, that's bro. That's, that's, I think that's a very, it's a very bold take on. I think it's a very, if I'm wrong, that means they make, that means they're in October and you know, that means they have a chance to win the World Series, and that's all. That's all I can ask for. Okay. Well. No. Wow. Again, I would like to be wrong. Okay. Um. All right. I got a couple takes, and it's all fun right. that because one of my takes is I'm picking the Yankees to miss the playoffs. Ooh. Yeah, I'm picking the Yankees to miss the playoffs. Toronto Ooh. and uh, Tampa. Get Toronto it. and Tampa. I like it. It's bold. For the record. Ballsy. Yeah. Um. I would say, yeah, I think they're gonna. I think those two teams are gonna edge them out. Own. Who wins the division? Uh, Tampa. Tampa. Okay. Okay. An aceless. Well, actually, no. I mean, Tyler Glass now. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'd say Toronto. Um, Toronto is gonna end up playing uh, Oakland in the wild card game. That's my. So the Astros win the West. Yes. Okay, sorry. I see that. Sorry, the Mariners are not. Uh, <laughs> not as much as that would be amazing. I don't think the Mariners. I don't think the uh, Royals. <laughs> I don't think the Royals either. But uh, I can't believe they cashed in their one really good team, bro. Hey, they did. They got that. They got that chip. Ned Yost All matters. is a terrible manager too, in my opinion. <laughs> Ouch. I really do think so. Oof. Ouch. Well, he's a World Series winning manager, so can never take that away from him. Yeah, we'll see. Um, All right, what's your other take? Okay. Um, so, I I mean, I think that this take is an interesting an interesting one, and, and you can tell me. Um, so, I'm going to pick... Uh, here we go. So, um, I mean... Uh, I go back and forth, bro. I go back and forth 
you know, thinking about this, it, maybe if you're a true baseball fan, you wouldn't think this is a hot take, but I am going to say it. Uh, I'm going to pick, um, for NL MVP, I'm going to pick Eric Hosmer. A wait, NL or AL? NL. And natural. And oh, oh, that's right, that's right. He plays in. That's right. I forgot. I, for some reason, I thought he kept playing in in Kansas City. Never mind. My bad, folks. I'm I'm not good at this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really? Okay. He had a really good year last year. Uh huh. Season so far, he's hitting 340. OPS over a thousand. Um, I mean, he's off to a hot start. Very small sample size, but uh, last year on, he had a very good season. And uh, he'd kind of lost it for a little bit in his career. You know what I mean? He really had. Um, and to be clear, when I say, you know, when I say he had a good season last year, I mean, I would say, um, no, it was two seasons ago, sorry. Last year was the shortened season. Okay. He had a decent season two years ago. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to go Eric Hosmer, man. I'm going to go Eric Hosmer for, for Alan Really? Okay. Who, I mean, you said you're going back and forth between a couple. Who's the other one? Going back and forth. Oh, um, you mean MVP? Yeah. Or were um, you just going back and forth as to like whether he will or won't win MVP and not necessarily like who would win instead? No, I was, I was going back and forth between him and then because I, I just, I think really highly of I think really highly of him, but um, do you know one player, uh, Owen, who I think could have a case for MVP at the end of the year? This is a this this would be an interesting one, in my opinion. Um, do you know one player who? Yeah, so do you know one player, Owen, who I do think could have this. This is like. Another hot take, but I would love to see it, Owen. Um, and I was, I, I was going to mention it during the podcast earlier. But I'm really loving this early season after like a five-year hiatus, it feels like, this Evan Longoria resurgence here. <laughs> Oof. With the, the Giants. The return of Evan Longoria, the man yeah. who haunts my nightmares to this day. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking about 2011. That's fair. Um, like he, he, uh, you know, he's like, he left Tampa and he's like, oh, well, the weather sucks in San Francisco. I'm just going to stink for like five years. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, do well. So I'd love to see Evan Longoria have a resurgence season. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd, 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 be, I'd be okay with that. He doesn't play for... Not since he got traded away from uh, the Rays. Okay. Okay. Really. Haven't really thought of him that much. I mean, the other thing is, it's kind of funny because he's from Downey. I'm just looking at his uh, looking at his baseball reference to see what kind of uh, resurgence he's having so far this year. Uh, he's from Southern California. He's from from the LA area. Downey. So playing for the Giants must be strange. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, if you're playing for the enemy, man. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's a professional, but still. Yeah, that's interesting. But, yeah, what a disappointing so. contract he was, but you know. Yeah. Um, so I do want to, I do want to kind of wrap up the the rest of the show because I know it is getting late, and also we've we've been going through this for a while. But you know, two weeks off, and we're gonna two or two, yeah, two weeks off, and we're gonna have a 
a tough, uh, or was it three weeks? I don't know. Um, we're going to have some, some stuff to catch up on. But before we do that, Willie, um, do you think Hosmer is going to be the best player, the MVP of his team, of his team, let alone the league? Yeah. Over Tatis and Machado and even, like, I don't know. Cult hero Jake Cronenworth? I don't know. I'm just kidding. But Machado and Tatis for sure. I mean, bro, you know who's another guy that's at a hot start is uh, Will Myers. Yeah, Will Myers. A healthy Will Myers. I've watched Will Myers play several times for the Pawtucket Red Sox. Really? Dude, because, um, you know, Syracuse played in the Pawtucket's division. And growing yeah. up, you know, I, I had season, we had, you know, um, season tickets um, to the Chiefs for like, I mean, at least 10 years. And I felt like, two like best players that I watched play like a lot of games. Like I'm talking about, I, I'm there's probably more, but like the two players that I watched played all, like a lot of games that were like, end up good at being LV players. One was Will Myers. Two was uh Jacoby Ellsbury. I watched him play like at least 15 games or something like that. So, um, so you saw that coming when he burst on the scene in 2007. Yeah. Oh yeah. You that saw guy, that coming. Dude, he, I couldn't believe he didn't get hit up earlier. Every, dude, I'd always go to the ballpark, right? Because we played Pawtucket a bunch of games there in our division. Ellsbury was always at the top of the lineup. He'd hit like 290, have a bunch of stolen bases, hit like 20-plus home runs. And I'm like, this guy's a stud. I don't know why they, they don't uh, call him up, man. You know? And then yeah, that's different than, you know, saying, oh, we should pay like $100 million to him. Uh, through the Yankees or right right uh, just one note on on um, Ellsbury I remember uh, one of my friends in college uh, he and I talked about this like th- there's like this athletics test it's like a litmus test for just pure athleticism and apparently he had the highest score of anyone in baseball like when he was you know playing in his prime and he was healthy so really? to me that yeah so apparently he's the best athlete in baseball at the that, you know at the time i'll tell you what that's um that's i mean yeah i mean he's fast yeah yeah but i'd be curious to see who would who would score highest in the test now because would billy it be would it be mike trout no i don't you know i think billy hamilton well i, I don't th- i don't think it's just speed oh Okay. I think it's just overall like athleticism. So I think strength, there might be a strength. I don't know for sure. I'll have to look it up again. Cause I, I, I think, I think there's documentation of this somewhere, but who knows truthfully. Yeah. But, I mean, he'd be up there, bro. I mean, that, yeah. that's interesting. I didn't realize he was number one, bro. Yeah. That's what I remember anyways. But anyways, we have been recording this podcast for well over three hours, I think. Uh, so I think it is time to uh, put a bow on it. If you will wrap it up. And get some final thoughts, Willie. Do you have any before we wrap up? Uh, I do have, I do have a quick uh, final thought, which I did just want to say. Um, I think that uh, you know another interesting uh, story in baseball, which um, people are going to talk about. But on, let me ask you this question: Will Mike Trout ever play in a playoff game? Like an actual, not the wild card game, like an actual playoff series in his entire career. Um, do we have to answer a question as to where he plays? Uh, 
you can you can factor that into your yes or no answer if you think he leaves eventually. But he signed a big contract, so so probably probably not. That would, that would just be one of the saddest stories. Well, okay, so see if it's with the Angels, I'd like him to because of Otani, because Otani needs to be in a playoff game. That'd be incredible. O- Otani needs to like start game one of the division series and hit third in the lineup. Dude. That needs to happen at some point in his career. Well, I mean, bro, maybe this is the year. But uh, yeah, dude, those two would be so fun to watch in the playoff series. But geez, I just think, bro. I mean, I don't yeah. care. I don't care. It's early in the season. Yeah, I wonder if the Angels are going to be one of those teams everyone's like, oh, we're not going to give them a chance. And they end up actually, you know, making a run or just like playing really good baseball for most of the season. Maybe. Um, it could be. We'll never know. Possible. But, uh, or, damn, man. Yeah, I mean, fuck. <laughs> that would be so sad. It'd be so sad. Yeah. Well, lots to, lots to think about in the future. Got a lot of baseball, uh, a great Masters recap, and I think uh, some, some good, good football discussion as to who, yeah. the, who the goats are, you know, if, if you will. So that's, that's definitely true. Uh, but thank you all so much for listening. This has been episode 37 of Hot Takes Only. Willie, thank you so much for joining us as usual. Uh, I know the last few weeks have been tough, so it's it's good to have uh, a a resumption of normality, if you will, with our, our usual long-ass podcast. Yeah, well, I, I'm i glad we did it, bro. I'm glad yeah. we did. And folks, you can get this podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Apple, Spotify, anchor.fm slash hot takes only, which is the, uh, the main website, our distributor, Anchor. God bless. Um, new episode likely next week, but you never know. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter as well. If you're on Twitter at HTO podcast, it's the best place to interact with us. Uh, we're trying to be more active on social, but you know, life is hard. And when you're having to manage all the social medias, it gets, it gets to be a lot. So definitely you know, there's yeah. things like that, but still be sure to follow us at HTO podcast on Twitter as well. So for Willie, I'm Owen. Thank you so much for listening. This has been episode 37 of hot takes only. We'll see you next time.